Hello! It's that time of year again. About halfway through 2017, we did a review of the year episode, part one of the year. I would recommend going and listening to that as a precursor to this one, which is part two, where we look at all the films that we've been doing episodes tying into for the last six months or so. Basically, it's a whole load of us just discussing the latest releases, which is good fun, including stuff like Star Wars and Justice League. We do try to keep spoilers to an absolute minimum, particularly as, in many cases, we haven't all seen the film being discussed. Off the top of my head, the only significant spoilers in our discussions are for Star Wars The Last Jedi, but be warned, we do discuss The Mummy, Transformers The Last Knight, Despicable Me 3, Spider-Man Homecoming, War for the Planet of the Apes, Death Note, It, The Lego Ninjago Movie, Kingsman the Golden Circle, Blade Runner 2049, Cult of Chucky, Jigsaw, Thor Ragnarok, Justice League, The Disaster Artist, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Enjoy! Take it away, soul. That's quite morose. Mm. Yeah, no, I felt like I should be doing like some kind of Scottish, like, it was three years since my Muriel died, and all I had was, was me little dog. Oh. oh, that's Irish. Oh. I keep doing high. I can't do a Scottish accent. What's that, lads? Are you trying to do a Scottish accent there? <laughs> Are you trying to do a Scottish accent? Is that, is that Scottish Bond, Irish Bond James just Bond. walked in? <laughs> it's it's Hogmanay Bond. Ooh. Large, it's 2018. That. What are you up to? There is a a, a film um, starring Sean Connery before he became James Bond, where he plays an Irishman, and there's like leprechauns in it. It was a Disney film. I really think we should look at it sometime. He played an Irishman in uh, The Untouchables, didn't he? He won an Oscar for it, yeah. yeah. So. Any, anyway, welcome right, to Diminishing... Re- oh. We're going to do it. Welcome... <laughs> Welcome to Diminishing Returns and our either last or first episode of uh, 2018-2017, depending on when you're listening to this. So this is our third in our traditional biannual review of the year episodes, where we look back at uh, a lot of the films that we were building up to in our previous episodes and series, and talk sort of briefly, uh, generally, about what we thought about each of them. Mm. And we should we should just explain that uh, someone's made that classic mistake of 
giving Sol a, no- a noisy toy for Christmas. And so now he's going <laughs> to... For some reason, he's going to be making noises. Oh no, the thing got stuck. It started playing two notes at once. I was trying to do keyboard. You know, practice. I also had a harmonica when I was about 10 years old, and it was on a chain, and I... I, I I wore it around my neck for about two weeks, uh, <laughs> thinking that I could like whip it out and impress people, but it never really works out that way. Did you realise that you couldn't play it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I can't play mine either, but it's impressing everyone who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yay! What can you, Sol, what noise can you give us whenever we get a really hot punchline? The most, the most ear-piercing no. awful noise. <laughs> okay, so here we are in our third review of the year episode. Um, should we should we just jump right in? Last time we left off with uh, was it Wonder Woman? We we yes. the last one we did was Wonder Woman, but only solid seen it. But then we ah. we have obviously done a whole episode on it since yes. then, so we don't really need to. No, no, no. But we we also covered the mummy last time, and yes. only Alan had seen it. Oh, did I, we? Uh, yeah, Alan had seen it. I think. Oh, but I believe you oh, have I now see. seen it, Calvin, as well. So you might want to yes. jump in with your thoughts on that before we get into the proper bulk of this episode. Well, Alan, what what were your thoughts on the original mummy? I can't remember you ever seeing. It. You must have seen it on like premiere day or something to have thoughts on it by that record. Well, no, basically, I thought it was, um, it kind of went really by the numbers, it was playing safe, hadn't, didn't really do anything very special or interesting, but basically got the job done, 6 out of 10. So I, I saw The Mummy not too long ago on uh, Amazon Prime, and I, I, I think by the numbers is a pretty good assessment of it. Uh, on after Immediately after I saw it, I put on Twitter that it felt like I was watching someone's very expensive midlife crisis. Because it's all about Tom Cruise having these fights and trying to be like a, you know, Chris Pratt, wisecracking character. And he's got all these mates who are like 35 and he's hanging out with this wisecracking guy and all this woman's after him. Oh, isn't it nice? And everyone else is old. And oh my, I had to rewind it at one bit when he's having a fight with Russell Crowe at one point. And Russell Crowe has a line that is something like, you might be a younger man, but you've still got something to learn. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. And I looked up and Tom Cruise is two years older than Russell Crowe. And yet Russell Crowe was supposed to be this like fatherly figure uh, <laughs> as far as the film went. Did you like it when Russell Crowe turns into Ray Winston? Oh, I loved that. Ray, uh, yeah, Russell Crowe is my favourite thing about the film. Oh, definitely. Was, yeah, you, you could tell he was just having a lot of fun, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what it needed because maybe the film would have been good if they'd have cast a lesser known actor, but it felt like it was trying to be the start of this ambitious cinematic universe. Which is already falling apart, I believe. Uh, All but officially announced, yeah. And because, I think, that this film was railroaded by Tom Cruise and his people, who apparently came in and changed the scripts, and I think he's got a producing credit on it or something, because they turned it into a Tom Cruise vehicle. And it it, it, it can't be that. Like, if, you've got, if you have all these plans for this giant universe and everything, obviously he isn't going to be in every single one of them, so we're not relying on Tom Cruise's star power to bring in audiences for other installments. Why, why build this one around him? It, it felt like a massive vanity project, and, and yeah, it seems it seems to have um, 
put the nail in the coffin of the dark universe. Mm. Uh, there, there are tales of the, the in on Universal lot. They had this huge, you know, office building dedicated to the dark universe, and they were hiring all this staff and all that kind of stuff. And now apparently, there's like two people in there who go in to like switch on the lights, and that's about it, really. Because uh, it doesn't look like they're going to be moving forward with it. Well, Bride of Frankenstein was moving forward and was actively halted, which is very yes. damning. And they haven't said it's cancelled, they're just reworking it. But I, I don't know, I can't quite see it happening. Yeah. What do you give The Mummy out of ten? Five? Six. six, six. So it's a diminishing returns. 5.5 out of ten. Ah. That's the uh, so... that's the jingle for five out of ten, or <laughs> or six out of ten, or in between. <laughs> <laughs> so should we move on to the next film, which is so this year, basically everything that's come out this year. Uh, we did Split at the start of the year. I don't suppose you've seen that, have you, Calvin? Yet? No, no. Okay, well that had six point five between Alan and I. Uh, Resident Evil: The Final Chapter. Oh, I've seen it. Oh yeah. What What would you give that? Quickly, I guess. Uh, let's not dwell on these ones too much, I guess. But uh, just... oh, I, I I could really uh, <laughs> I could really skew the results here, couldn't I? Because well, there's only going to be one score for this. It's film. currently got one out of ten from Alan. So uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you can give it <laughs> five. You liar. <laughs> you have no integrity. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I was going to give it ten then. But, yeah. It's got a three out of ten between us. Uh, Rings. Have you seen that one, Calvin? Nope. Alan saw it last time. Gave it five out of ten. I saw it and I give it a four out of ten. It was pretty shite. Uh, so that mm. now has a four point five going forward into this extra second half of the year stuff that we're about to be talking about. Fifty Shades Darker. I doubt either of us have seen that. No. Nope. Alan gave it a four. Uh, Logan, we all saw, and we all mm, gave very good. an eight. So it had an eight. Kong Skull Island. Uh, oh no, no, I haven't gone to that yet. That has a seven from last time. Beauty and the Beast had a six from a lot of us. Mm. And Power Rangers has a six, because I have not seen it. Uh, don't mm. suppose you've seen Ghost in the Shell, Kevin? No, no. No. That has a five. Fate of the Furious? Nope. That was a five. This is just Alan basically deciding these. <laughs> uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Calvin? Nope. 6.5. Uh, Alien Covenant, we did. That was an eight, which is quite controversial because everyone hates that film, apparently. Mm. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean has a five. Oh, and uh, Wonder Woman. What did remind me? What you gave Wonder Woman in our Wonder Woman episode, Calvin? I think it might have been seven. I think it's probably seven. So Wonder Woman has seventh, seventh, seven point four. Okay. Hmm. So, oh, so the Mummy isn't even a holdover from last time. I've just got it wrong. The Mummy was our official start of the, the second half of the year. Fuck this write up. <laughs> All right. So after the Mummy, we did Transformers. Uh, tying into yes. Transformers: The Last Night. Did you mm. did you go go and see that, you guys? Yeah, um, uh, I haven't. Oh, because I, I I'm at a point now where I think I shouldn't be giving 
the many more money to make these things. It was, every time I've gone into one, it's been, I think I mentioned this in our previous review, it's, because I'm the fan of that series, if there's a fan out of the three of us, but you just always hope that they're going to get better and that they're going to learn and they're just always the same and this was just meant to be more of the same, so I thought they didn't deserve to have my money. But you gave Age of Extinction a 7 out of 10, Calvin. Yeah, but that was, six of those points were because of Kelsey Grammer, and this one didn't have him. Um, Transformers 5, is it? Uh, the, the Last, last night. night. Yeah, yes. um, yeah, pretty terrible. It was it was totally messy. The structure was nonsense. None of the characters make sense. Um, Anthony Hopkins was probably the best thing in it. He was just having a laugh. He was obviously taking the piss. Yeah, really messy. And uh, what you expect from Transformers in terms of the action and just didn't make any sense in terms of plot. So mm. it's pretty much something mm. up. Mm. You know... Stanley Tucci plays Merlin in this film. Uh, yeah, what's that about? Well, exactly. <laughs> I've seen it, and I don't know what it's about. Michael Bay definitely doesn't know what it's about. Uh, first of all, I gave that film 3 out of 10. Okay. Oh. And if I'm the only one who's seen it, uh, then that's an official rating, isn't it? By the way, I'm, I've, I've, I've put together some quiz questions that I'm going to drop in throughout the show, uh, oh. because they're kind of tangentially connected to the films we're talking about. So mm. uh, I've got one for Transformers. I've got some Transformers names here. Uh, oh, some of which are real, some of which I've made up. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to <laughs> decide. Calvin knows uh, them all. This what's what? Fair. Well, I, I don't know. I kind of went, there's there's a lot of Transformers. Like, I went on a Wikipedia list of like, Transformers names, and there's so many different iterations and worlds and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Okay. So I tried to avoid the obvious ones. <laughs> Just shout out, I guess. Transformers or Schmanformers. <laughs> okay, so you're going to do a jingle. Do tr- the Transformers theme. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to give you a name. Is it a real thing from Transformers or not? Ambulon. <laughs> Ambulon. Uh, I think that is Schmanformers. <laughs> I think that's real. That's <laughs> real. Um, oh. Ambulon is real. It's. Uh, this is all, like, all the information I've got. It said it was a leg. Um, <laughs> a, le- a leg? And it was from. And it, it came from the IDW publishing original characters, whatever that means. Okay. Mm. What about uh, Vroom? <laughs> it's Vroom. Uh, I'm going to go Schmanformers. Okay. I'm, I think it's real again. It's, uh, Vroom was a motorcycle slash rocket car uh, from mm. Mega Pretenders, if that means anything to you. Was that a Transformers spin-off, or was that an unofficial I don't know. knockoff? This was all official Transformers Wikipedia page stuff, so uh, oh, they're all official okay. in some sense. Um, Tremors. Uh, Schmansformers. <laughs> I'm going to go Transformers. Okay, Tremors was made up by me. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Um, uh, Cybax. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's real. Schmanformers. Cybax. Uh, I could spell it for you if that helps. I think it's real. Uh, Cybax. How's it spelled? It's real. Is it, it P-S-Y-C-Y-C-Y-B-A-X-X. It was a space shuttle. Uh, it was is a Technobot. And it says here, the Technobots were created by Grimlock from part of Unicron's brain. Oh. That's where they came from. Um, honk. <laughs> 
Oh god. Uh I think that's real again. <laughs> okay. I think not real. Uh good tactics, Calvin. That was not real. Uh, yeah. Finally, <laughs> finally lost the um, point. Chain claw. I'm gonna go Schmanformers. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Schmanformers on that one. Uh Chain Claw is really was a bear. <laughs> in pre- oh. he was a pretender beast. Erector. <laughs> Erector. Oh, that's gotta be Schmanformers. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, no, I, think it's, sure I think it's real. Um, Erector is a crane uh, from MicroMaster oh. Transports. God. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Um, spunk. <laughs> oh, Spunk. Transformers. S- spunk. S apostrophe P U N K. I made that one up. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh damn it. <laughs> so bad at this. Um, hole punch. <laughs> That's real. Schmanformers. Hole punch is real. He was a. F- oh. He was part of. He was part of something called Scoop. Who was a front end loader? They combined together to make things. Uh, something like that. Isn't that Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> yeah. uh, Alan. <laughs> uh, Schmanformers. I think it's real. <laughs> Alan is real. (laughs) Alan was a TGV high speed train uh, in a micro transformer thing. How are you spelling Alan? A L A N. (laughs) It's not very inventive for a transformer. Well, guys, that was. I gave you 10 there. Uh, One of them, neither of you got right. Calvin, you got one right. Sol got eight. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) So that's a big lead to Sol to take into the next rounds. What? Oh no! <laughs> we'll see how it goes. That's the uh, that's my victory <laughs> theme. Like really, I mean, it was a fifty-fifty game. Really, I expected it to be closer than that. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought Calvin would edge me out with his actual Transformers knowledge, but I guess it's like it's like how Beethoven was brilliant at playing music because he was deaf. It's. Uh, <laughs> So next, what did we do? We, we we looked at the Despicable Me films and Minions. Yes, yes, we did. Yes. So who saw Despicable Me three? I did, actually. Yeah, ah. I did. Yeah. And what did you think? Um, um, uh, I was going to say classic case of diminishing returns, but to be honest, I think I prefer it to the second one. Oh. Uh, uh yeah, I thought it was shit. It was yeah, definitely diminishing returns. Tried to do too much. With mm. one's film, like trying to pack too many plots in there. Uh, the br- the brother, char- the the new character they brought in of the twin brother didn't have enough characters. Yeah, funny. it wasn't. There was nothing going on there. It was hmm. Trey Parker was very odd in it. Just mm. having him voice a character as an <clears> actor, <throat> I still don't really understand. <laughs> but it was it was just Randy Marsh as the as the yeah. Movie. It really was Randy Marsh. <laughs> well, really? It really was. Yeah, yeah. Huh. He just kind of talks like this. It's weird. It's yeah, and and then there's a few points yeah. where you see his character as a child, and the voice is sped up, and it just sounds like Stan, basically. <laughs> so, uh, um, mm. Yeah, it, it's it's. I liked his character though. I I, I enjoyed the uh, the villain and some of the sort of elements in there. I, I don't think it really went as far with it as it might. 
nice animation mm. and stuff. Like I like I say, I thought it was fine. It just wasn't good. <laughs> like the um the first one was surprisingly good. So mm. Mm. Yeah. the the best bit by a mile was the subplot with the minions. Once again, mm. I I feel dirty by like for enjoying them as much <laughs> as I did, but they. They just had. They were like completely removed from the bulk of the film. They were just doing a prison break on their own for most of the film. Yeah. So you just got this kind of Great Escape style minions shoveling dirt out in their trousers kind of sequence, and it was just really that stuff was great. But uh, the rest of it, not so much. Hmm. It was all right. Alan, what do you give it out of ten? Four. I give it a six. I thought it was passable. So that's a diminishing hmm. return score of five overall. There. Wow, that is a fall from grace, considering how positive we all mainly were about mm. the, the other films. Yeah. I have a Despicable Me question for you as well. Uh, this film, Despicable Me 3, made the Despicable Me franchise the highest grossing animated franchise ever. What I want to ask you, I'll let Calvin go first, we'll do it in turns. Oh, bless you. The other, the other four franchises that are in the top five... Highest grossing Avatar. animated franchises. Oh, highest grossing. So, do you want me to name all five? Uh, no, just we'll go one at a time. We'll alternate. And then, uh... Okay. Well, Ice Age must be one of mm. them. That's a yes, good Ice chance. Age. Ice Age is number three. You get a point for that. Right. I think, okay. although it's not much of a franchise, only one film deep so far. I think Frozen might be on there. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, think. Yeah. Frozen, I'm afraid not. No, oh, sorry. no. Oh! Oh, grossing, actually, rather than making money. Shit, I was just thinking of how much money it's brought in as a franchise, rather than grossing. Okay. Yeah, this is this is just like the box office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not your merchandise. Oh, it's shit. Calvin's turn. Right, okay. Uh, okay, uh, franchise. Well, this is tough, because a lot of animated franchises go, like, directly to video and stuff, so, like, I would be hesitant to say, even though I think The Lion King is, like, the third or second highest-grossing animated film of all time, I don't think it'll have... When you say highest-grossing franchise, Alan, do you mean all the films box office combined, or, like, averaged yes. out? Between. Box office combined, yeah. Okay, so it is going to be something with a lot of films then. Uh, oh, Toy Story. <sighs> Toy Story is number five. Uh, oh my god, wow. Yes, Toy Story. Um, the one that I got excited about is Cars. Is Cars, Ooh, cars on there? Cars, cars is can't not. Can't, if I, That's another if one. I, I only made like a note of the top five, but Cars was like number right. seven or number eight or something like that. It was quite high. Ooh. Cars makes all its money okay. on toys. Yeah, I think I think it's like Pixar's most profitable franchise or something absurd, but not based on the yeah tickets. So there's two more to get. There's number two and number four. That's right. Uh, it's not going to be Lego. It's sorry that I'm taking so long with this, but I really really That's right. want to I, win. I'm, I'm glad you're buying me some time to think because I can't think of anything. Uh, oh, I know. Oh, yes, I know. I know. I know. I've got it. <laughs> oh no, no. Oh. Ooh, uh, Shrek? Fuck, you f- cunt. <laughs> Shrek is the number two. That's the, the one well was, done. Oh, you twat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is one more, Sol, if you can get it. Oh, God. You've well, had Shrek, Ice Age, and Toy Story. I feel like I'm forgetting a, an obvious DreamWorks series. Uh, Kung Fu Panda... <laughs> Um, Kung Fu, it's not Kung Fu Panda, but that was, oh. I remember it on the list, it was in the, maybe top ten? Mm. Um, oh. I haven't actually got the full list in front of me, but. Uh, uh, I have to rush you. Monsters, Inc. Monsters, Inc., no, that was on the list as well, at like number twelve or something, but um. that wasn't in the top five, I'm afraid. Is it, mm. is it Happy Feet? 
No, it wasn't Duh. Happy Feet. That was that was on there somewhere. It was on it. Okay, let me let me give you. This is a franchise that's got ooh, three, maybe four films. I'm not even sure. Mm. They've done quite a lot of them now. Oh, Madagascar. Fuck. It's Madagascar. Madagascar. Ooh. Madagascar. Yes. I couldn't get How to Train Your Dragon out of my head. That ah. was on the that was on the list as well. That was like number seven or something. Hmm. It's quite it's quite hot. Okay, guy. Well, Calvin, you actually got all four of them in the end. Yeah, of you, you, so you caught up some you caught up some points there. Oh, yeah. few. Uh, okay, so next film is Spider Man Homecoming. Spider Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> that was just the diminishing returns theme, wasn't it? That's all he can play. <laughs> uh, so I think Spider-Man Homecoming we all saw. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. Well, I think we're, we're going to probably get to a, a full proper podcast about this one at some point down the line. Yeah, I doubt it'll take too long. Yeah, because uh, now that Spider-Man is fully integrated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, I'll start then and say that I really liked it, and probably really? my favourite Spider-Man film of the lot. I'm so. very surprised oh. with you, Calvin. Oh. I Well, no, I just, you, you don't really like Marvel all that much, you don't like Spider-Man no, particularly, no. and... I just thought you were gonna see it as yet another one of these films. I mean, yeah, I I, I loved it. I thought it was excellent. I thought I honestly like spoiler alert for upcoming films, but I do think Marvel's really coming into its own now. There's a lot of people who say mm. they're reaching the the peak of it all falling apart and getting fatigued with it. But I think when you look at the most recent few films they've done, it, it, they stand as some of their strongest on this slate personally but yeah I, mm. I loved it and i'm i'm you know a big fan of the spider-man franchise so that's interesting someone who liked the uh sam raimi films absolutely loads mm. and someone who someone didn't who did care for them and we both liked yeah coming uh i'm sure alan will now give us a dissenting opinion <laughs> yeah i didn't like it <laughs> oh. <laughs> i mean not that it was particularly bad but it was just like because we did our review of spider-man i watched all the spider-man films and this was just exactly the same as the others no, as far it wasn't. as i could tell it's just the same teenage <laughs> bullshit. Wasn't that cool? I thought it was very distinctly different. I thought so. Number yeah. one, it wasn't. Um, it felt like an actual high school kid rather than like a thirty-year-old playing. Dresser. Yeah, they did. They did make it. They they'd made him younger, didn't they? That's that was kind of the big yeah. thing they'd done. But also, it, it it actually the fact that he's in high school was actually like a big part of the the plot as well. It was more than just a kind of tangential. Oh, I've got to mm. get this essay in. Kind of moment it yeah. was like a big it's like they go on a proper field trip and it's all about mm. this homecoming dance and yeah asking a girl out and all that kind of stuff i thought the the villain wasn't just a, a frankenstein's monster a scientist trying to do well that's gone gone wrong i thought the villain was very interesting actually in this film mm. you've got a it's, mm. it's a very rare instance of like a well blue collar criminal as as they call him isn't it it's, it's michael keaton mm. in a really quite nuanced role for this kind of film i mean the the end tag at the end of the film a lot of people were really upset and disappointed with that because uh uh for anyone who has hasn't seen it basically like the the mid-credits scene which is normally when they set up future sequels has someone with some scorpion tattoos or something who i think they're setting up as a future villain in prison with with michael keaton's vulture character and he says like 
I heard you know who Spider-Man is. Tell me or I'll I'll shiv you. And he's like, nah, you're not having him because I'm going to kill him or something. But you can tell on his face that he's like protecting him because he does appreciate that he's like a, a little kid and stuff. And it's... I know, I think a lot of people misread it to just be setting him up as a villain he was going to go and get revenge, but the way I read it was that he's actually getting a little bit of, um, ah, what's the, redemption almost for, because he's not a completely evil guy. You understand mm. his motives, and I've looked into it, and that is Kevin Feige, or whatever he was called, was saying, oh yeah, we, we wanted to have a kind of, all our end tags mm. are normally outward looking and we wanted to have a more introspective one for a change and i think that confused people and hmm. uh, like it did confuse people but oh, that's interesting that kind of sets the tone for how they handled that character and i thought he was a really interesting well fleshed out well i think it was i did like that i liked the ambiguity there and i did i did took that from the ending as well and but because obviously there's a personal link to his daughter and all that mm. and we definitely yeah. get we definitely tries really tries hard to set this character up as oh look he He's doing bad things, but he's doing it for the right reasons. He's just trying to look after his family, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it felt a bit, I don't know, it wasn't that great for me as far as subtlety was concerned. But at least, at least, yeah, at least he's not just a mad villain who's been hit by gamma rays or whatever. Yeah. I suppose that's something. Another, another point I'd like to address, um, and again, one that people often dislike, but is also the appeal for these films, is how it is part of this greater universe and tied into all the other films. And I I thought they did a really great job in this film of organically making it part of the world of the other films without it ever feeling too obtrusive. Um, Obviously, Iron Man, played by Robert Downey Jr., has a role in the film, but I I never felt Mm. like it was... It felt like an organic continuation of what was started in Captain America Civil War, it never felt um, gratuitous. It always felt like a relatively uh, organic way of allowing Spider-Man to happen. And Mm. I loved that it gave Spider-Man all these high-tech gadgets and stuff on his suit in a believable capacity, because it's always been very annoying, the idea that this little high school kid was so amazing he could make all this crazy stuff without anyone knowing. The idea that Tony Stark's making it all for him kind of just makes it work a lot more. But beyond that, the fact that this film opens on the uh, the workers cleaning up the, the debris of the wreckage of the, you know, the alien ships and stuff from the Avengers... Um, mm. and addresses that and it, again it lets them get all this technology and power to fuck around with i i really like again that feels like a really organic way of acknowledging that this stuff has happened without it feeling like crowbarred in or it, it, it didn't feel like it was there as a nod and a wink to fans it felt like it was the mm. most organic easiest way of telling this story and letting these characters get access to materials and stuff and and therefore yeah. you were able to get working class characters as villains instead of the usual well-educated mad scientist who you know tends to fall into the middle to upper class bracket so it, it's yeah yeah i i, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it on on a, on a similar note if i could just um add to that because i was quite annoyed when it became apparent that 
Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark was going to be a big part of the film and that it was going to be so integrated into the Marvel mm. Cinematic Universe because it, it just annoys me and I've talked about this in other Marvel episodes where you can't just jump in on any one film anymore without having prior understanding of all the other ones or at least so I thought because when I saw this film I saw it with my boyfriend at the time who likes Spider-Man but I don't know if could, you know not a huge movie fan doesn't really care mm. about who's directing it or anything like that I don't know if he could tell you what happened in which Sam Raimi Spider-Man film but a fan nonetheless Hasn't seen many of the other Avengers films, but has seen bits here and there. Uh, and he really loved it. And Had he seen didn't... Captain America Civil War? No. Because that, that's the one that sets it up, I guess, that would make the most sense yeah. you need to see. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I haven't seen. So it, the beginning made no sense to me. But well, did it's it... just like, all right, magic child. Did whatever. it make no sense to you? Because I, I think they did a pretty good job of explaining what was happening. No, it was, uh, it was like, oh, look, here's a teenage kid. Oh, he's got magical powers. And he knows Iron Man. That was like, there's no introduction to the character other than that. He's doing a video diary that kind of explains it all. But yeah, and then he jumps across the room like in one big thing, and it's like, oh, right, he's, he's got magic powers. Well, yeah, but the, yeah, si- but I don't know. Who, I don't know who Spider Man is. What's that? Civil War doesn't ex- like that. His introduction in Spider in Captain America: Civil War is as a kid with magic powers. You never. These films are like aware that you've seen and are familiar with the mythos of spider-man and if you're not who cares you not everything needs an origin story so implicitly spelt out no well i don't know do i don't know i don't i mean i knew, i've seen spider-man so i knew who he was so I, it made sense to me and that's my point i think that people can just sort of come yeah. to these at whatever um stage and as long as you're not as pedantic as i am and if you are pedantic like i am you probably do go and watch them all. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's probably one of the main reasons why these films are such a huge success, because they are just accessible to anyone who just wants to slip in and out. Yeah, yeah. B- bafflingly, to my mind, but um, yeah, maybe I'm just too much of a completist. It's just that the worst parts of Homecoming for me were the bits where they couldn't help, they couldn't go more than five minutes without making some sort of snarky reference to Thor or Captain America, the Hulk, something like that. Mm. And even when bank robbers are breaking into a bank, they have Avengers like masks that. on. And it's like, I get it, you're in the universe. Just like, you could have just done a couple of those gags, get them out of the way and then move on. But no, it was it, literally every five minutes. I like some of that. I don't need all of it. I like the bank robbers having the masks on, but I didn't need... <sighs> I hate it. But I didn't need Spider-Man to then draw attention to it. If you know mm. what I mean. If 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 they, yeah, that's yeah. that's the level I'm operating at. I'd I'd like it yeah. if they were just robbing a bank with those masks, and it's like, oh, it's like how people wear like you know Richard Nixon masks and stuff in the real mm. world. Mm. Similarly, yeah. there there's in the background of some. Uh, I think that that street even certainly in the background of the film, you can see there's an Asgardian church that implies that like. A religion has started around Thor, and it, that kind of subtle little reference I'm all for. I think it's nice world building, but I agree. I, I don't mm. like it when they name drop the characters, and I especially don't like the way that a lot of the films seem afraid to directly name drop them. I can't remember if they did this in Spider Man or not, but Marvel, certainly the TV series, do it a lot, and the films have done it a bit where they'll say, like, oh yeah, like the big green guy, huh? Because they don't want to say mm. Incredible Hulk or whatever, and it's just like. Yeah, yeah. But I, I could get over those bits quite easily, and I, I did really enjoy the film. I thought it was very, very good. Lots of lots of fun. I thought it had a great sense of humour. Yes. I thought it had real emotion 
that worked on the level it was meant to for this kind of blockbuster. Mm. Um, I think a bit. Uh, I didn't particularly like Peter Parker. Really? Um, yeah. I, it, I had the same problem when Andrew Garfield was doing it. He's just a gobshite. He's too cocky. He's too confident oh. for who he's supposed to be. I like I want. I want my Peter Parker or... to be a bit of nerdy and a bit of a loser. I, well, I thought Tom was... Holland uh, perfectly balanced what Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield brought. I, I yeah. I did like. Uh, I liked the fat kid. I liked the sidekick. I thought he was. He, he was just. It was enough uh, character and enough there to make it work without being distracting. Mm. It, yeah, spot on. That I, I like the but, cast yeah. in general. Um, and yeah, I, very I, good cast. I thought it was. It was a refreshing, uh, refreshingly like diverse cast as well which like i don't know it's 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 bad that it's noticeable when they just kind of accurately <laughs> reflect the sorts of people that you'd get in a high school in the city like that but um yeah yeah uh, really cuz i i i thought I thought like this is the United Colors, Colors of Benetton school, and I, I thought there might be something I was missing, like in the backstory of this high school, of why there is such a massive range of ethnic diversities in one school. It's just because it's, it's a, a huge, huge city, city isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Is it New York? It's New York, isn't it? I, mean, I know you grew up in like Brighouse or wherever, Alan. No, that's Calvin. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Alan's Barnsley. Barnsley. So I'm sure there was like 99% white people in your high school, but it certainly was. But um, I, I, you know, I've been to different schools. When I when I went to primary school and in, in Reading, it was full of people of different creeds and colours. Then I moved yeah. up north, and it was all white people. But and they is there though? Is there forcing is me there... to sing about Jesus and shit, which really offended me? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honest. I'm not convinced. I, I don't think this this is a, a realistic interpretation of a, a I, high school. I think it is. I think it's very realistic. Yeah, it's 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 a, lo- a lot of um... especially in America. Well, no, I think even more so in an American city. I I I invite you to look up like some census statistics after the recording and post them on diminishing returns ratings. Uh, five. Ooh. Ooh, what a grumpy goose, Alan. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was I'm I'm I was leaning between seven and eight. It falls probably somewhere in the middle, but I'm going to go eight now on the basis of Alan's <laughs> unfair low mark. I also okay, I've gone for eight. four. I've changed no, mine to no, four. No, no, don't do that, <laughs> no, no. <please>. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't change mine. I bet it based on your reviews because I've got integrity. <laughs> okay, fine. Seven. No, eight. Oh, uh, can I go seven and a half? <laughs> All right, I'm giving it an eight. All right, eight, seven and a half. And five, was it, Alan? Yeah. Okay, it's got a diminishing return score of 6.9. That's, uh... Feel deserves like, better. Yeah, it deserves higher than that, I think. I've got a Spider-Man question for you. It's a very quick one, this. Oh! Very simple, uh, guess a number. Just one okay. question. Eight. So, uh, I'll give you a point for whoever's closest, but three points if you get it spot on, okay? Oh. How, how many people are credited in the writing section <laughs> of this film? Oh, um... Is this who gets an on-screen credit? Well, I took the information from IMDb, so yeah, I presume it's the same. Because IMDb will often have seven. like so and so invented this one character. Yeah. Oh, it's got character created by, but I from but what credited I recall, character that, created by. Yeah, none of these are marked as uncredited. Okay, these are okay. all credited. Uh, I'm gonna go eight. And if and going eight, if, if anyone turns up twice, is that just one? Like if someone's got a story by, and um, a, they're all yeah. These are no these. Uh, I'll give them as individuals, yeah. People. So I reckon you probably had maybe three different sets of writers doing credited drafts. 
let's say two of those are writing partners. That's five. Then you'll have Stanley, Steve Ditko, seven. And let's chuck someone in on story eight. There's, what did Calvin say? Eight. Yes. I'll have seven then. Okay. So Calvin's gone eight. You've gone seven. The correct answer is ten. Fucking hell. Oh. So Calvin wow. just on the closest. You've got, yeah, Stanley and Steve Ditko, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby as character created by Captain America. Oh, I forgot he was in it. Yeah, shit. Um, and then I've got Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly. I've got a screen story and screenplay credit. And then also screenplay credit, John Watts, Christopher Ford, uh, Chris McKenna, and Eric Summers. Yeah. So there you go. Mm, interesting. All right. Next. Yes. War for the Planet of the Apes. Yes. War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. I, I think going into this one... After our recording, I was a bit unsure if I remember because I I loved Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I did really enjoy Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but it felt like a minor step down for me, and I was just worried mm. that this looked like very much more of the same that we got in Dawn mm. and not kind of a distinct thing of its own. But I I was really, really, really impressed with this film. I I really loved this Mm. film. I thought it was absolutely outstanding. It felt like a Mm. much like um much like Logan this year, this felt like a real kind of Western done with apes kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, likewise. It was sort of a, even if they don't make any more of these of the prequel series, it's sort of like a perfect mm. end to a trilogy. Yeah, and, and sort of an accidental trilogy. Like I know that uh, War had the same director as the previous one, but to say that Rise was just born out of some people had a scary monkey script and wanted to get it made, and then just tacked on the Planet of the Apes name and references. Yeah. To say that it came to this is is quite impressive and quite something. Yeah. I loved how it made use of Planet of the Apes lore. It, um, obviously, mm. the, the humans are starting to lose their ability to speak and stuff. Um, so it kind of still ties into setting up. I mean, essentially, the film ends practically where the first film, uh, the original Planet of the Apes, begins, in a sense. They're at that watering mm. hole, which I think is meant to be where the spaceship crashes. Yeah. It closes out this arc across three films that, like you say, was not even presumably intended when they started it out, but it, it's a very satisfying mm. arc. It is just remarkably well-directed. Um, mm. I was really, like, really impressed with Matt Reeves' work on this one. Um, yeah. Just the the visuals, I mean, the effects were phenomenal, the, the cinematography, the music... The performances, just everything came together so well. Uh, the fact mm, that it mm. really was like a real war film. Um, it was much more akin to Bridge on the River Kwai and stuff like that than I was yeah. anticipating. Um, but also the fact, you know, you've got these donkeys, these apes that are working for the humans because they're like, mm. you know, it, it's this kind of grey area that the film actually gets into a bit. and it. I loved that, yeah. yeah. And I wasn't expecting that either, because in previous films it's been so black and white, yeah. like humans and apes, and that's it. That's it. And then to have that grey area in the middle, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I I found it very emotionally impactful as well. Uh, the mm. ending in particular. I, I, but I'm sure yeah. once again Alan will knock us down. <laughs> oh no, he'd like this one. I think. <laughs> I think I think he'll enjoy elements of it, but he won't like the cutesy 
fun chimp that they find. He won't like the fact that it just turns oh, into a prison movie because it's like a different <laughs> thing. Uh, well, no, you're, you're you're both right and wrong. Um, <laughs> I didn't love it. I, I thought it was fine. I I liked Steve Zahn um, as the little cheeky ape or whatever he is. He was great. Um, yeah. I thought he was mm. great. I, I really like Steve Zahn, actually. He's one of those actors who kind of every now and then pops up in an amazing performance, but then he's mm. never quite given the kudos that it deserves. I think the acting in general is great. And you, I mean, we, we've already, we're three films in, so it's kind of all been said, but to embody these apes and, the, and take on the, char- the physical characteristics and, and, and still make it all work, it's, mm. it's fantastic. The acting and technology that comes together, it's as... Is a future, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it, it really blew me away how much of a real film it was. To say it's like a mental blockbuster about CGI apes, the fact that it was like a like I say a real film with emotional gravitas and depth and stuff. And I, I mean, the Planet of the Apes films have always been that to a point, but I did think this one really it felt more mature than it's the two that came before it certainly. And I, I do like like you said in the whole trilogy that. Every film has had a very different tone, and they've they've not they've not tried to just do the same thing again. It is like they've created this whole story, which has turned out to be like Caesar's life essentially, mm. Mm. Uh, and and those and seeing him go from you know fun loving innocent chimp to like uh, kind of hardened by life to just really quite a, a brutal leader who's had to do terrible things for the for the greater good, and it, it is quite brutal and real. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, my problem with this film was that it, the in terms of the ape human stuff, it did feel like yeah we've okay we've done this we've done this now. I thought if you this there was nothing kind of very ape like about it. If you took this film and did the exact same film, but instead of having them as apes, you, they were just humans of a different tribe or a different nation, and it was a prison film, it would just be the same. And I, I think I, that's kind of the point, to be honest. I know, but yeah, yeah but. At what point does it then not matter anymore? And, and well, it's it's just way more fun if they're apes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could go back to the original film book and say, well, why does it have to be a planet of apes? It could be a planet of yeah, tree frogs. I get. Well, I'm not sure. Even I'm sure what I'm trying to say, but there's something about this just didn't quite engage me in the way that I think it was supposed to. And perhaps it is because we're getting so much. Of the of the ape side of the story, and then the human side of the story is represented by Woody Harrelson in this kind of very mm. not very nuanced yeah, role. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> and it's like if if you're gonna give us some grey area, then give us some grey area. Show us that they were all alike. If that's the analogy you're trying to make, Woody Harrelson's motive is made clear, and it's not the most unreasonable motive in the world to give him some credit. But he is portrayed as categorically the bad guy outright. And yeah, maybe it's just a bit too black and white yeah. in that sense. And and he's just doing bloody Colonel Kurtz anyway. It's like, <laughs> if you're going to do grey area, then let's do the grey area. I, I do him. agree with that. I, just, I, I was When I watched it, I did wish he'd been a little bit more um, nuanced. But overall, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I was so impressed with this film. Um, another thing, actually, I want to quickly mention is the score. I think it's got some really beautiful music, and it's not it's not music that I really noticed during the film, but I went back and just kind of listened to the soundtrack at one point, and it brought all the emotion back from that final scene as I was listening to it, and it was like, oh wow, like mm. 90% of the emotion in that scene must just be in this music. It's really quite powerful, and it, it's... 
yeah, hmm. I like it. It's quite a compliment for Michael Giacchino. Hey, I think Michael Giacchino is good. You guys might be slanking him off. His, his, <laughs> I didn't. His, <laughs> I didn't think I minded him, but uh, apparently, I yeah, sounds like video game music to me. <laughs> what would you guys give it out of ten? Uh, eight from me. Six. I give it a nine, <laughs> which uh, gives that a seven point seven overall. Hmm. That's our highest rated so far on this part two of our review of the year. Oh. Are they going to make another Apes? I think they almost certainly will. Because this one got, like, universal acclaim pretty much. It was very well received. It's a real, like, it's an ending to the story, but there's no reason why Mm. we have to stop here and we can't just keep pushing forward. Uh, We've got an Apes cinematic universe. (laughs) I know Matt Reeves (laughs) has said that he has an idea for another one that he'd like to do, and I think that's all it'll take, to be honest. Um, But obviously Mm -hmm. he's he's off doing, like, Batman and stuff, so he might not feel like returning to the franchise. I I think... Oh, and you know what? Because I was about to say Fox would be mad not to want another one, but... Disney, oh, wait, Disney's yeah. just bought them out, and maybe they've got enough franchises and they won't care. So maybe hmm. that is the end. But I doubt it. I, I, I think it's inevitable there'll be another one. Yeah. Somewhere you know, down the line. Yeah, you know what Disney really loves? Money. <laughs> I know <laughs> so it's just that, like... If it looks like it's profitable, then they'll do Yeah, it. but there's only 52 weeks in a year, Alan, and it's like, where, you know, you've got five Avengers movies coming out, <laughs> all the X-Men movies, Muppet movies, Star Wars... Star Wars. Simpsons now probably put a Simpsons movie out in there. So wh- when are you going to find the time to put Planet of the Apes out with all this other stuff? Yeah, maybe they could cut out a couple of Marvel films. without it cannibalizing into your other films' profits as well. Well, you just put them all together, Disney Cinematic Universe. Hey, I, I've, I've I've been figuring this out, Disney. <laughs> get on the phone because I, I want to pitch you a film where like Scar and Jafar and Hades all team up to like. It's good, man. Isn't that <laughs> the House of Mouse? Yeah, but my idea is good. My idea no. isn't just a flimsy bookend for like cartoons from the <laughs> 40s being recycled. Oh. I've got a Planet of the Apes question for you as well. Well, this is oh. an Andy an Andy Circus based question, actually. Okay. Um, um, there's a few answers. I'm, Calvin, I'm going to let you go first as well because you're still behind. Okay. Uh, so basically, the question is one at a time. Mm. Uh, motion capture characters played by Andy Circus. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, I'm going to go with Snoke. Ah. Supreme Leader Snoke. Supreme Leader Snoke, correct. That's one point. Um, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll go for the obvious one, Gollum. Yeah, Gollum. I'm, I'm putting Gollum Smeagol as one in case you're tempted to... to Damn it, that's answer. the same guy, isn't it? He's just got a split yeah, personality. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm. That's why I'm not. I'm only counting as one. Uh, I'm, I'm discounting Caesar as well, just because we've, cause we've already... We have established right. that one, I think. Yeah. Oh, Blue. He is going to be playing Baloo in Mowgli. I'm going to give you a point for that. It's not out yet. Yes! Sol? Uh, King Kong. Kong! Uh, of course. Yes. There are actually two more answers, and just to give you a clue, they're both in the same film, but it's two characters that he plays in one film. Uh, he's not in any of the Robert Zemeckis ones, I don't think. I'm going to throw a clue at you, and you can shout out whoever gets it first. All right. The film also stars Jamie Bell. Oh, Fuck. Um, um, I believe uh, Simon Pegg is in it. Um, oh, God. Um, Simon Pegg's in it. It's uh, yeah. it's not Mission Impossible. It's oh Tintin. 
Right? Fuck! So Tintin. what character did yeah, he play? He's, <laughs> he's um, Captain Haddock. <laughs> Captain Haddock. I'm going to have to give that to Calvin, I think. Cause he yeah, yeah. Um, but let, let me see if I can remember that he plays two in that. He plays movie. another so character. Haddock and... He plays, and I don't know if this is a flashback or whatever, but he plays Sir Francis Haddock, who is an ancestor of Captain Haddock. Obviously oh. just mm. uh, plays the same thing. Okay, well, that was mm. that one. Um, the scores are now 10 to 9 for Sol, so Ooh. it's getting very close. Calvin's really bridged that gap. Yeah. Okay, so what's next? Death Note. Ah. Which I, I assume we've all seen this one, because it went straight to the No! <laughs> <laughs> Did you, but Death you didn't really see the full... Death Note, did you? No, no, I said I was going to go and watch it, but uh, I haven't actually gone back to it since we talked about it, so <laughs> there you go. But there's, you know, other things to watch. Well, I my I had hopes for Death Note, because what I took from watching the series was that you could easily condense this down to a shorter run span and and, mm. and just take the kind of the first third of it and make that a film. Uh, and it, it felt very padded out for me, the TV show, so... I thought there was lots to lose, which would have been good. I don't think I'm going to be very controversial by saying this wasn't a very good <laughs> film. <laughs> Unless you want to disagree with me, Saul. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, I found it quite entertaining for all its flaws. I think okay. it's been... Right. I think people have been a bit meaner and harsher with it than they would if it weren't a new version of something that they love and you know, I mean, I, I think they're quicker to swipe it down for being a bad version of something that they like. Um, but it's got a lot of flaws. It's not great. Willem Dafoe was very good as the uh, Ryuk character, but mm. also very underused. And they sort yeah, of tweaked the they tweaked the character and like the rules enough that it changed. It, it changed his character enough to be less interesting. They basically made a few very subtle changes that basically meant that his character was malevolent and like not pleasant and actively out to cause harm. Whereas in the original series and films and stuff, that character is basically a completely neutral party who's just there to observe and i always found that far more interesting than always oh, just a sneaky demon fucking with yeah. people yeah what about um what they did with l who in, in in the original he's kind of an idiot savant he's you know probably on the spectrum somewhere but very focused in what he's doing whereas in this it, it felt like just a kid who was taking on so much sugar that you couldn't quite concentrate <laughs> on things and then but at the end he just becomes a complete like emotional wreck hell-bent on catching this guy and it's it didn't make it didn't fit with what we established it didn't fit with the previous incarnation of the character so they've obviously made yeah. a, a deliberate change there i was impressed with how much this did stray from the original source material and kind of went about doing its own thing but i think they made a lot of bad decisions and were too close to the original source material if they were just gonna do their own thing if that makes sense like it do you know i i wouldn't necessarily even have it be this dance between a kid who's a super cop and a high school student if you're gonna completely recontextualize the whole thing it, it felt very odd but um yeah i don't know it's not great like you say it, did, it just the whole thing needed more depth it needed more yeah and and you know it felt like even with the time they had they could have definitely invo um got into these questions a little bit more especially the moral questions of mm. you know mm. you're killing mm. people uh even if you're and you're trying to justify it for the greater good so let's talk about that a little bit. Let's just, let's get into that a bit more. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I gave it a five out of ten. 
Yeah, I I I uh, I give it a six. So that's five point five between us. I do have a little question here in terms of the quiz, but I couldn't really come up with any good Death Note quiz. So I just I've just got a few questions here, basic trivia questions about things to do with Death Note. See if you can shout out. Okay, so first one, Adam Wingard, of course, directed this version of Death Note. What is his next project? Uh, Kong Skull Island. No, uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. Godzilla versus Kong. Yes, that's correct. Just a nice, simple Uh. question. What was the first original production made by Netflix? House of Cards? House of Cards is correct. Well done. Was that the first? Wow. Was, yeah. 2013 it came out. Uh, One more question, although there's two answers to this. Uh, Mm. Willem Dafoe has been nominated for Best Supporting Actor Oscar twice. What films were they for? Is one of them a Lars von Trier film? No, wait, he was only in one. No, no. It's, it's going to be a military role or something. Oh, one of them God. is a military role. Oh, God, what is is he in Platoon? What military films is it? It is Platoon, I'll give you Is it Platoon? Yes, oh, it is. Yes. Well Gordon, done. He played That's Sergeant deserved. Gordon Elias in Platoon, yeah. Oh. Uh, there is another one. Hmm. I don't know. He's playing a real person. It's from, it's set in the, well, it must be the, is it the 20s? He's playing an actor. Oh, I, I have oh, no idea. God. Um, it's the Werner Herzog film, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's the one where he plays Max Schreck. That's oh, it, yeah, fuck! That's the one. <laughs> What's Wait, it called? That He got Oscar nominated for Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah. Fuck I really me. want to win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll have to give that one to Carl. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I mean, fair enough. I didn't think that was a... I thought it was an obscure little weird meta horror movie, mm. not a Oscar contender. I mean, he's good in it. So give him credit. Um, it's, not a, it's not a Werner Herzog film. Well. Uh, what's next? Is it it? Wait, what? It's next. Oh, film. What's the name of the film, though? It. Um. It's next. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it's up next, but which film? The are we film doing? known as It. <laughs> um. So who saw this one then? I haven't seen it yet. Um, Have you not? Quite. Yeah. No. Well, I'd heard um, mixed things about it. Not that it was. Have not you? that it wasn't good. By the numbers, what you would expect from this sort of film. So that kind of put me off a bit, especially after watching the original version. I categorically disagree with everything uh, you just said there. I, I think this is. I mean, I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you should go and watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. It's uh, it's not it's not that kind of conventional like jump scare horror, if that's what you mean. It's not what you would necessarily expect from quote unquote remake of it. It is and it isn't, but I think it's done really well, and I think it's about as scary as this story could ever possibly be, mm. which isn't that scary because it's a stupid clown thing. But if you're scared by <laughs> stupid clown nonsense, it's like quite. There's a few images in this film that, like, I found very, I guess, disturbing is the word. They did <laughs> kind of stay with me. I I was really impressed with it. I really liked it. To say we kind of spent our episodes pulling apart the story and explaining why it's inherently flawed and doesn't make any sense, <laughs> this is probably the best adaptation of a Stephen King book, uh, yeah. or certainly Stephen King horror book, that I've ever seen insofar as it captures the vibe of his work. Because, uh, not on paper, because hmm. it is literally on paper, but uh, to, to glance at Stephen King's work it shouldn't work a lot of the time and it often works really well but it shouldn't do if that kind of makes sense there's often like messy strands in there and lazy Hmm. character archetypes and things that should stop it from being as good as it is 
Uh, and it's a great example of that because it's this nonsense about a clown that doesn't make any sense. Mm. But the film does a really faithful adaptation of that and it brings it to life well. Yeah, I'm, basically I agree with all that. It's I think mm. this is pretty much the best adaptation you can do of this book um, without completely changing it. Yeah. Um, but the problem is the source material is is flawed and we've talked about that on our episode that we did, so I won't go into it. But yeah, it's just a pretty slapdash story. Mm. So, but all the slapdash elements in this film, I can trace back to that. If I'd not read the book or wasn't aware of it that much, I might judge this film a bit more harshly. But this film really feels like it's done the best job it could with that material. And what it does is very good. Yeah, it, it's it's refined the story and made it more um, efficient in many ways. Mm, yeah, I, yeah. I I really like this film. I thought it was excellent. I, I've I've enjoyed pretty much everything I've seen this year, to be honest. But I I really like this mm. film. I thought it was genuinely it captured childhood very well. Mm. The performances of the children was for the most part uh, yeah good brilliant. acting all that, through, yeah. that um oh god what's she called the the one who plays um Beverly Sophia Lillis mm. is going to be a huge star because she is phenomenal in this film and I, i'm calling it now she will be she will go on to be like a big big deal pretty much everyone's great mm. in this apart from that kid from stranger things who i wasn't that into but everyone else seems to enjoy him so oh is that the richie tozer one uh the comedian one yeah oh i liked him yeah but yeah i thought that the dialogue they have was very real felt like kids the way they talk it, it was well written yeah yeah, and uh, of course you've got Bill Skarsgård repro- well, oh, yeah, yeah. taking over the iconic role of Pennywise the Clown himself, and I thought he was brilliant. I mean, I never thought that much of Tim Curry's performance, which mm. might factor into this, and, and I also have no nostalgia attached to the original TV miniseries, mm. but I thought Bill Skarsgård's take on it, and I don't know how much of it's down to him, or how much of it's down to the director, he basically plays it like... It reminded me of, you know, ang- is it anglefish? You know, like really deep in the ocean, those fish that have a little glow-in-the-dark yeah. lure yeah. and they dangle it because it looks like a worm. Well, because <laughs> obviously Pennywise, as we discussed, is this like intergalactic space spider that takes the form of a clown to fuck with people. It really felt like he was being portrayed as a puppet and that made him feel really inhuman and genuinely quite unnerving at times because his his eyes keep going cross-eyed in like a really weird way when he's kind of not focused his his movements are really like puppety yeah i i thought it was an excellent excellent take on how to portray what is inherently a stupid idea and make it actually very effective and cool. And like I said, I, I found some of it genuinely quite unnerving. The, the opening scene with Georgie is almost exactly as it plays out in the uh, miniseries. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much the only it's pretty much the only scene that is almost exactly as it plays out. But it's so much better. It's subtly better because Hmm. The performance of Pennywise when Tim Curry did it in the original is just creepy and weird. The performance of Bill Skarsgård is like, he actually does come across as like a friendly clown who's trying to lure Georgie into the sewers. 
but he's inherently fucking creepy. And you get the nuance in Georgie of like not really trusting him, but not quite doing it. And basically, there's a surprisingly gory moment where he doesn't just pull the kid down into the sewer. He like reaches out and bites his arm off, and there's this little child oh my flailing God. around in the middle of the road, blood going everywhere, severed wow. arm, um, <laughs> pulled in screaming. And I wasn't expecting hmm. it, but it's so like just point blank this is what this is this kid is like and it's really quite affecting because of it and i i've got to give it credit for leaving images like that that quite stayed with me really um and and also the georgie storyline has a real emotional weight to it here the fact that his brother won't drop it is handled really well and i found it again very emotionally satisfying when he kind of deals with it uh and an- another big thing actually is that in the book and by extension the miniseries pennywise kind of his fears that he he drips in and and uses on people the weird scary forms he takes are generally like oh it's a werewolf because the person saw a werewolf movie and that mm. kind of thing and it's all a bit like fuck's sake this film changes that so the fears are something I think we mentioned would be better in our episode. The fears are actually, and they don't do the best job in the world, but like they've actually tried to link yeah, the fears up with the individual characters. So, for example, one of the characters is scared of this painting. It's like an abstract painting of a creepy woman that's in his uh, this office that he goes in um, sometimes, and so. Pennywise like manifests in the form of this malformed like woman from an abstract painting for him. One of the characters, which is basically you, Calvin, is this like uptight germ freak um, <laughs> little boy who um so Pennywise takes the form of a leper and like runs towards him and he's terrified of it, which is much like when we used to live together and I would like pretend to be disabled and run after you and you'd be really scared of it. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, that is all flashing back now. <laughs> uh. But like, it, it's the fact that he actually, you know, he, he plays on these um, fears, you know, properly, and it, mm. it just, it, I, it, yeah, it's just a great, inventive, fun film. And there's a few moments that are just bizarre uh, dotted around in there, mm. but not enough to kind of ruin the film. What, did, what, what did you think, Alan? I mean, I'm not disagreeing with anything Saul says, although it seems like he enjoyed it yeah. much more than I did. I, I kind of agree. It did the best it could with what it had, and I enjoyed a lot of it. Hmm. But I've, I've got a feeling he's going to go a lot higher than me on the ratings. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I know that obviously the second one is coming out in uh, 2019. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how that comes together, actually. I think you will really like it, Calvin. I'm surprised you haven't seen it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. It's just been hard this year to get to the cinema to see these things and you know. I, I give it an eight out of ten anyway. Well, I give it a seven. Mm. Oh, okay. It's not too bad. Yeah. Solid seven. Seven point five. Diminishing returns. Oh, I've I have got a question here about clowns. Um, this is relatively easy this one, so it's gonna be uh I think maybe shout out and we'll see who can react quickest. Uh, okay, I'm going to name a film or slash TV show and you mm-hmm. have to tell me the actor who plays a clown in it. Oh, or ha- has Oh, okay. Uh, okay. This is good. Okay, so let's start with um, The Dark Knight. Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger. That was Calvin. Yes. Um, the Simpsons. Uh, Dan Castellaneta. Yes. 
Um, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> yes, Kelsey no! Grammer. David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> he was an attempted clown. <laughs> okay, we'll have to stop there, otherwise there's too many clowns. Uh, the Greatest Show on Earth. The Greatest Show on Earth. This is a film from... The- is this- Go on. Is this one like Kirk Douglas or No. You're thinking you're thinking of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a film from ooh, the fifties, I think it was, set in a circus. Yeah, I don't know. Um He won an Oscar for this, I believe. Lawrence uh... Olivier. <laughs> no? Oh, I don't no, know. I don't know. It's James Stewart. Really? Oh. Okay. Huh. I imagine it was a clown. Vulgar? If you uh, if you know if you film vulgar, I did reference oh, it in our um, episode. Uh, Divine. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Good guess though. Oh uh, no, going. that guy from Clerks. Kevin Smith. <laughs> the guy, the D- D- Dante. <laughs> I'm gonna have to give you that. It is him, Brian O'Halloran. Uh, I'll give you that though, because you Brian O'Halloran. You went straight there. I don't know if you'll know this one. Um, in Living Color. Oh god, I know the name. Tobey Maguire. <laughs> no, no, no. In Living Color is a TV show. It was oh. a, it was a sketch comedy show from oh Jim Carrey. Uh, it's not Jim Carrey, but the yes, guy from Jumanji, right show. <laughs> no, Andy Kaufman. No, no, no. Okay, I'll have to go. That one was Damon Wayans. He plays Homie the Clown, who is sort of a, a recurring character they did in that show. Octopussy. Oh, Roger Moore. Yeah, <laughs> well done. Uh, and last one, Quick Change. Oh, don't know. Quick no idea Change, what that is. film in which this ca- this actor plays a character. Who robs a bank dressed as a clown? Billy Bob oh. Thornton. Nope. No, you don't know it. W- worth a stab. No. Nope. It was Bill Murray. Oh, I got uh... the first name. <laughs> the first four letters. Okay. Well done. Okay. What's next? Where? What, how are we doing with points? Who's winning? Um, it's currently fifteen to solve, thirteen to Calvin. Ooh. So all to play. Pulling away. I've got an extra point. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, next up was we did the Lego Batman movie because Lego Ninjago movie was coming out. Oh, uh, yeah. Which yeah. I have not seen. I haven't seen it. Alan? Yeah, I've seen it. Right, and. Uh... Um, well, I mean, <laughs> it was exactly what I expected, I suppose. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about Ninjago or like the backstory of it. So, I don't know, but this is basically Power Rangers with Lego. It's the oh. same story. It's these, like, five teenagers who secretly are, like, superhero with attitude. people. Yeah, exactly. And then they and then they have these, like, little robot animal things that they get into and fight the bad guy. Hmm. But it was very much the same tone as the other Lego films, that kind of slightly sarcastic and self-referential, but not quite as much with this, because it is just aimed at kids. Hmm. And it, yeah, it was just... I mean, there's not a lot to say. It was just a lot of nonsense, really, you know. Hmm. But it did, I think it did what it was supposed to do. Oh, okay. Out of ten? Uh, five. Oh, it is. It, this is very by the number. It's very obvious. Everything you do is really obvious. What I did, what the really odd sort of moral lesson from it all is that basically this kid and his dad hates him and doesn't have anything to do with him. But then they like reconcile at the end, and but it, they reconcile because the child like accepts him and forgives him and stuff like this. So, like it was a really mm. weird lesson to teach children. I think. Like, even if your father ignores you for the first 18 years of your life, you still need to hmm. make compromises and sacrifices in order to let him into your life. Weird. Hmm. Bit weird, if you ask me. 
Yeah, it's odd. Any any quiz questions for this one? Oh right, oh, I've got a good one for this. It's good. I'm going to give some good points available for this. So a chance for one of you to take the lead, right? Uh, but it's not about Ninjago because obviously no one knows anything about that. So this is about <laughs> this is about the Lego Batman film, right? And now we're going to have a, a bidding system here. So basically, we'll let Calvin go first because he's behind. But the question is, how many credited cast members from the Lego Batman movie can you name? Ooh. Oh, okay. So how actors, oh, actors who provide the a Lego voice Batman film. in the Lego God. Batman movie. But the thing is, you have to give me a number. Like how many you think? Say you think you can get eight. Then say eight. Oh right. And then Saul gets either either goes higher, in which he has to do nine, or he can say, "Okay, go and challenge you to do it." So Calvin, you have to set a precedent here by okay, and then Saul. Can go, can go over you and then you can rebid to go higher again if you want you give me a number that you think you can get and then solely that has to go higher or let you do it and challenge you to do it and then if you make a mistake he gets the points but the amount of points you get is the amount you, that you get so uh if you said eight for example you'll get eight points and Sol will get nothing uh i can do seven okay calvin has gone for seven so you can you can bid higher but then calvin can outbid you again so if you go eight I reckon I can do eight. Okay, he's gone eight. Now, Calvin, you can either go nine, or you can say, Sol, complete the challenge. In which case, if he fails, you'll get eight. Um, no, I'm going to have to let him do it. Okay, Sol, you have to name eight without error, by the okay. way. You can't just throw a load of names at me. <laughs> without All right, so if I get any wrong, that's bad. Yes, okay, actually, I've got a, a thing. If you, when you go wrong, if you go wrong before the eight, then Calvin has to name one more that you haven't named already, if that makes sense. Ooh. So if you get oh. seven, then at least you make it difficult for him to steal the points. Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> if I get Basically, one wrong, yeah. then Calvin... Has a chance to steal. Okay, I see, right, right, but, right. So my, my point is, give the obvious ones first, because the one and the ones you can definitely get right. Okay, I've pulled up the cast list, so I should have a full list here. So we need eight, so go. Okay. Uh, Will Arnett. Will Arnett, of course, plays Batman the lead. That's one. Um, Michael Sarah Plays Robin. Yeah, that's two. Zach Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis, who plays the Joker. Three. Rafe Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes is Alfred the Butler. That's four. Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate plays Harley Quinn. That's five. Uh, Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien is the Riddler. That is six. Damn it, he's done it. Jermaine Clement. <laughs> Jermaine Clement. He is in there somewhere, isn't he? Hang on, let me... Yeah, Jermaine Clement who is the voice of, do you know? Sauron? He plays Sauron. Well done. That's seven. You need just one more. Uh, Eddie Izzard. Mm. Eddie Izzard, who provided the voice of Voldemort. You've got eight. Well done. Should can we you get any more? Should we see how many more doing? I can get? Yeah, go on. <sighs> All right. Um, is it is Rosario Dawson? What's she called? Rosario Dawson? Is that the back? Yeah, girl? Rosario Dawson is uh, back. Girl. I didn't want to guess because I wasn't. So yeah, that was the main, the, the one of the main cast that you didn't get. Okay. So yeah, is, is Jonah Hill in it? Is Aquaman or is that just the the Lego Movie? Jonah Hill is in it as Green Lantern. Green Lantern, yeah, he's uh, credited yeah. as. So there you go. Richard Cheese is technically a lounge singer. I don't know if he'd be credited as a cast member or just for uh, the music. <laughs> uh, his credit is uh, Mark Jonathan Davis. Is a, his credit as a lounge singer? Is that him? Is that his real name? Possibly. I think that's it for me, though. I, I'm I can't think of any others. I think I could add two more to that. 
Yeah, hang on, just sorry, Mark Jonathan Davis is Richard Cheese, yeah. Oh, oh, Billy D. Williams is in it. Billy D. Williams. Uh, yeah, uh, that was one of them. Yeah, Billy D. Williams is in it, yeah. What was the other one then, Calvin? Channing Tatum. Ah, fuck. Yeah, he was Superman, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, oh, and and uh, Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper, yes, as Phyllis. She's that, like, floating brick in the mm. nether realm. I'm so upset that I've lost so many points <laughs> on that it's one. A big points boost. To, so that yeah. was the big points winner, mm. that one. Um, mm. I think you've got all the obvious ones, really. Uh, Seth Green is in it. It's King Kong, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's it. Next. Right. Uh, Calvin, your favourite. Kingsman, The Golden Circle. I saw it. Who else uh, did? I saw it. I didn't, so I'll just let you two talk amongst yourselves. Well, what did you think, Alan? General opinion was that this one was uh, much of a step down from the first one. Yeah, Uh, I've heard it's shite. I absolutely hated it. It was was like they couldn't possibly have made this film any worse. Like, every single decision they made was the wrong decision. It It is unfathomable how bad this film is. Like, compared to the first one. Oh, I really liked it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. It was like it was like a lesser Bond film. Um, like, you know, or like, rather, I should say, like, one of the lesser Bond films. Well, but, you are, uh, yeah, I guess with your Bond heritage, you've got a high tolerance for shit films. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, I, I had a lot of fun, a lot of good gadgets. I really loved Julianne Moore as the, the oh, villainess. No, she, she should be ashamed of herself. How is it so bad? Because, like, to to look at the trailers, it just looks like more of the same, but maybe not. It, as it's good. more of the same, but probably objectively not as good. But I have a lot of fun with it, and it ticks more of my personal boxes. Um, it's like looking at if you looked at the first film and you go, okay, these are all the things I liked about it, and these are all the things I didn't like about it, and then you take all the things you didn't like, ramp them up to eleven, and make a film out of that. That's what this film was. What's his face? Is it Matthew Vaughn? It was. Um, it was mm-hmm. like. In the first film, he'd wanted to do all this and someone had said, well, no, let's make it a bit good at least. And then in this one, they just let him do whatever he wanted and it is shit. Um, I'm very disappointed uh, and unnecessary with both the way and um, that they did bring Colin Firth back. Um, uh, completely unnecessary. How do they do it? Oh, it's some bullshit about they've got some special serum and uh, a way of if you get shot in the head, we can inject you with this and put this on your head and then it'll all be fine. Yeah, that, that's bullshit. Yeah, it's really... Well, that that just, that completely undermines death as a stake in that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, there is a point later on in the film where, in the film as we see it, there's another character, I'm not going to spoil who it is, but another character meets their end, and in the original version of the film, that character was brought back at the end with, like, robot legs or something, and that was... But then uh, test audiences reacted very badly to that because it was like, well, you bring Colin Firth back, and then you bring this guy back, so who who is gonna, you know, there's no stakes to it at all because you can kill someone, but they're not actually dead, so who cares? But even more than that, it just undermines Eggsy's role in it. Like, Taron Egerton is still sort of like, his character is surely the star of this franchise, but he's just sort of like pushed into the background so that Colin Firth and Channing Tatum and all these other people can have their moments. 
Do you think they'll do a third one, or do you think this is the Kickass Two that is like uh, just killed the franchise dead in its tracks? I, all the people involved seem very keen on doing a third one, and Dwayne Johnson is apparently the number one <laughs> pick for villain of Ooh, that film. Nice so uh, I will say that a lot of the people in this film—they've got a lot of names in here. Like Michael Gambon turns up like randomly for like two very short scenes. But a lot of the more well-known names do feel like they're in here. Channing Tatum's barely in it, despite prominent building on the poster, and it, it feels like... That's it, yeah. Channing Tatum's practically the whole trailer, and then they just find yeah. a reason where his character has to like go away for an hour. <laughs> like, yeah. and then it does feel the like end. they got these names, and it was like like someone was mates with someone, and it's, and it's like, oh, we really want you in the film. Oh, I've only got a week, and then I'm flying out to do this other thing. Oh, it's fine, come in, we'll just do you on a green screen and yeah. put you and in And the wherever. same with Julianne Moore, like... Her scenes, like the villain is like off in a hideaway and doesn't, so you see mm. her on video link and stuff like that, but she doesn't interact with any of the characters until sort of a final yeah. showdown. Plus everything, yeah. like her little jungle hideaway that she has, everything about it, it looks completely fake. Um, it looks like it's been made on like a computer animation software from like 2012 or something like that. It's not quite up to scratch. It's just, it, it really does feel like a group of friends making a film that, they find funny. But I really liked it anyway. Out of ten? Um, I would give it seven. Three. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Ha- harsh ratings from Alan on this one. Have we have we seen anything that you like yet? <laughs> I don't know actually. What have I done so far? I haven't got a list. He gave it a seven. Yeah, I like oh, okay. I liked it. Seven That's the highest so far. Seven I really liked it though. Seven is kind of reflective of the kind of bad material, but it was very well. Mm produced piece yeah it's a good seven i've got a little quiz question for you though um because kingsman of course uh calvin you you'll have to go first on this one i think uh give you a chance we'll alternate Uh, one of the writers on kingsman of course uh was jane goldman so the question is uh just one at a time i want you to name the other films in which she has a writing credit we're not including not including the kingsman films because we've covered those so anything else okay um, well, Kick-Ass. Uh, Kick-Ass, yes. Hang on, let me just write yep. down your points. Uh, Kick-Ass, yes. Sol? Uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Mental Cases. Um. Which I'm going for first, because I'm going to try and take out the ones Calvin definitely knows first. <laughs> yes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Cookie Kids, yes. Stardust? Stardust, yes. The Lighthouse Golem. Uh, the Limehouse Golem, yeah. I'll, Shit, I'll, I'll Limehouse Golem. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I haven't seen it. I assumed it was about a golem in a, in a, a in About a lighthouse. lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, X-Men First Class? Oh, yes. The Woman in Black? Yes. Mm. You know you're Jane Goldman, don't you? Oh, God. Uh, now I'm, I'm, really I'm, I'm completely out now. I am, like, I've milked myself dry. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think we're three apiece, aren't we? Are there more? Uh, you, you've pretty much got the the major ones there, so we'll, we'll. I think we'll have to leave it there. You got you equaled each other there, so no change in the score. But what I'll, I'll tell you exactly what she's credited for as a writer. She's she's first thing she's credited is is additional material on a TV show called Bedil Syndrome, which was a oh. a sitcom project for David Bedil, David Bedil, which was on Sky. Uh, something called The Debt. Okay. The debt. Mm. No idea what that is. No, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, she's apparently credited um, for a short called James Bond Supports International Women's Day. Oh, yes. That's, oh. that's uh, Daniel Craig yeah. in drag. The, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, uh, Woman in Black, and then she's credited as story by for X Men: Days of Future Past. Yeah. Uh, oh. Whatever that means. And then apparently, what she's got announced, which uh, whatever that means. Oh, she's working on a Game of Thrones spinoff. A Game of Thrones spinoff, yes. But and, that might not huh. be the one that they go with because I think they've got about five spinoffs in development, and they're just going to pick the one they like most. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Kingsman Three is on here, but who knows how official that is. Um, and mm. The Little Mermaid. Apparently, she is. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Involved in that, or at least that's what it says on IMDb. I guess that's not official yet. Okay. Next is uh, Blade Runner. Yes. You guys seen this one? Nope. Yep. If you recall our Blade Runner episode. I was a big fan of Blade Runner, who then rewatched Blade Runner and didn't understand why I <laughs> liked it so much in the first place. I I really enjoyed the sequel. I thought it was better than Blade Runner. I thought it was great. Mm. It's it's kind of everything that I still enjoyed about Blade Runner here, and just far more compelling and beautifully shot and stuff. Mm. Music's not as good. That's the one thing that's better in the first one. It creates yeah. more of a, an atmosphere. But everything else, I mean, God. Uh, so as we have, I'm going to mention this now because it's going to come back again later on, but as I've mentioned on many past episodes, I really like seeing old versions of characters when they're like old men or women. And I, I've been thinking about why that is lately, and I think it's because the hero's journey has been completed, but obviously mm. the ending of a story is arbitrary, and like if it's a happy ending or like a satisfying conclusion, it's just down to when you end it. Because if you then keep mm. the story going, it always you know becomes less of a happy ending and things go up and down. And I think it's really interesting to explore that with characters getting older and what have you, and how the events of the films fall out and what have you. And this film is obviously a sequel to Blade Runner, set 30 years on, and it features a hell of a lot of uh, Harrison Ford as Deckard, as an old man. So I really enjoyed that, and, and seeing how, how his uh, story had kind of unfurled. Aesthetically, I thought it was beautiful to look at. Everything about how it was put together was great. Really, like, inventive. Loads of ideas, and but bits of technology and stuff that weren't in the first film, but fit that world, but were kind of a more modern take on it, I guess, for our age. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, well, I didn't like it, but it was better than oh. the original, I'll give it that. Oh. <laughs> but it, it felt like a very kind of worthy successor in the sense that it was kind of yeah. slow, ponderous, and didn't actually say anything of any value. Mm, it, it was very slow and deliberate, but I think it really it really built a lovely atmosphere around the story it was telling. I, I, I was happy to go with it. It's not something I'd want to return to again and again and again, because it is slow and hard work, but I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know, I, I thought it was just a further development of the same themes about at what point you, you become human. But it doesn't develop it at all, it just sort of, yeah, where, at what point does it ask any of these questions? Or, or even attempt to give an answer, or at least even discuss the answer. It's just, it uses that as a framework, but never gets into it at all. It's just really frustrating, mm. like the first one was. Well, no, I don't know. I think, I mean, there's a major spoiler in it that I don't want to give away too much, but that's a big part of why I think it does say something. <laughs> I, I, I thought it worked, and like you say, I thought it was a worthy successor. I preferred it to the original. It was completely in spirit and in keeping like with the original. 
um, arguably better made, very inventive, expanded the world instead of just like repeating it. I suppose I should very quickly address that it's been heavily criticised by people for misogynist undertones, which I think is horseshit because it really. Oh yeah, a lot. I, I, quite a few like people and places have been criticising it for being misogynist, and I think those people are hmm. fucking idiots because it isn't misogynist. It is a film that portrays misogyny. That is not the same thing as being a misogynist film. The film is mm. critical of the world it portrays, much like the original film was critical of the world it portrays. The fact that there are prostitutes in the film, or um, he's got a a one of the characters is the is Ryan Gosling's sort of girlfriend, but she's like an artificial holographic girlfriend that he it's like it's like an Alexa or hmm. Amazon Google Echo type thing, but it's like a holographic. Yeah woman that he kind of gets to do everything and tweaks to like his whims and Mm. like people have taken stuff like that as like misogynist oh it's just a male fantasy and it's like no the film's clearly being very critical about this lonely man and the fact that he's not gonna get like human companionship out of that and so on there's a scene at the end when that product like approaches him and speaks to him and makes it very clear that the relationship we were shown was completely artificial and hmm. I I liked it. I thought it was thought provoking. I thought it answered questions as much as it needed to. The fact that it didn't like it, it, it was it was more of a study of um, loneliness, I think, and and the human condition than perhaps mm. than like what it means to be human and a completely yeah. specific. Um, yeah, I like that actually. Yeah, it's definitely about lonely, well, men, but lonely people. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's quite an interesting way of looking at it, actually. What did you think of Jared Leto? Oh, he's shit, isn't he? <laughs> uh, can we stop putting him in films, please? <laughs> it's just he always he always tries so hard, and it's like sometimes you don't have to create a whole character that you lived as for six months <laughs> to yeah. just yeah. play the p- fucking part. It, yeah, he. <laughs> oh God, just stop it, Jared! Like, stop it. He's uh, very popular for some reason, isn't he? Yeah. I guess he's a very good-looking man. He was but... in a band. That's why they <laughs> like him. That role was, um, well, I don't know if it's confirmed it was that role specifically. The director said he wanted David Bowie to be in the film to play a role, and watching the film, it's obviously that role. Um, <laughs> so I think that would have worked a lot better, but I don't think David Bowie would have been like, I don't think he would have come across as such a prick playing it. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's not a perfect film, and Jared Leto is one of the weaker elements, but um, Harrison Ford's yeah. good. Hmm. It's Harrison Ford does what he needs. But to. it's but it's it's good Harrison Ford. You know, it's it's yeah. He's definitely working. putting the effort in. Uh, okay. What well, what did you give it out of ten? Eight. I gave it five. Ooh, you are <laughs> such a mean critic, Alan. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's any films coming up that I enjoy. You're leading up to like Jumanji, aren't you? Which you're probably going to give a nine. He <laughs> does. God, you. Like, oh, it does what it says on the tin. And, uh, <laughs> Dwayne Johnson's brilliant. Well, he's, he, he's brilliant at what he does. He is. He's, he, he's got his tongue firmly in cheek, and he. he <laughs> what? What? What was next? Um, well, I've got. I've got. A, I've got a question for you first. I've got a quiz question for you here. This is a Harrison Ford-based question. Uh, better let Calvin go first. <laughs> Still behind. Okay, I want you to name characters. Rick Deckard is one of them. I've got four other answers. Characters played by Harrison Ford 
in more than one film. Ooh. Ooh. There's one very okay. obvious. One. Two very obvious. Two ones. very obvious ones. <laughs> well, I'll go for Han Solo. Then. Is there, are there four left or four? There's four Deckard? more after Deckard. So well, yeah, you, Han Solo. Han Solo. Yes, of course. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. So that's your two obvious answers. Yeah. The yeah. other two are less obvious. One of them is I don't think you'll definitely not get, but one of them is pretty well known. Oh, um, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, there you go, well done. There's there's one more, and I honestly, I don't think you'll get it. I certainly didn't know it. Did they ever make a sequel to Ender's Game? No. It is um, the character of Bob Falfa that he played in, in American Graffiti. And oh, then in the never. sequel, which oh, was yes. more American Graffiti, he's in that. I think it must just be a little cameo because it was uncredited. And... But technically, uh... I believe that is a great answer. I haven't seen that one, so I'm not really sure. Mm. But, um, and and did he did he ever reprise his role from uh, the fugitive in something? That I, I was wondering no, that. That's, I, that was the train of thought that got me onto Jack Ryan. I definitely checked that, that one because there were, there is a sequel to the fugitive <laughs> in which Harrison is there, um, Har- what is called U.S. Marshals. Yeah, but it's, Tommy it Lee follows Jones Tommy Lee Jones spin-off. chasing right. someone else, Wesley Snipes, I think, rather than chasing him. But yeah, that was one I thought might come up, but nope, that is it as far as I know. Unless I, I uh, there are no some then. things that I'm not aware of. Calvin made up one point there. So uh, that's, that's something. I find it quite um, arbitrary how these points are decided. Like, Saul gets eight for <laughs> well, guessing some, all the cast that's members. It. Some I rounds get, like, are one some rounds are big money rounds. You have to you have to make the gamble. Anyway, should we, should we should we talk about Cult of Chucky? Yeah. So I haven't seen this one yet, bizarrely, because I I do want to. But yeah, I thought you would have done. But yeah, my, my, my point being, no spoilers, please. Oh, yeah, 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 no. And and there's probably reason for that. There are a couple of yeah, twists in this one. I understand it one. goes a bit mad near the end. but uh... Yeah, which I really liked. Uh, I didn't like it as much as uh, Curse of Chucky, but this was more of the same thing. Like, it's, like, yeah, two years on, isn't it? And it's in the mental institute that Fiona Dourif has ended up in. And yes, obviously more killings, more uh, doll-related stuff. Um, but the uh, the kid from the first film, Alex Vincent, he comes back. Mm. He had a little cameo in the post-credit scene at the end of and the previous Andy film. But he's Barclay, back for like yeah. yes. yes, he's got like a proper role in this. And Jennifer uh, Tilly is in it as well, right? Yes, as um... well. Actually, this is a question I want to ask. Who the hell is Jennifer Tilly playing? Is she playing Jennifer Tilly or Tiffany? Or the character that Jennifer She's... Tilly was acting as. It's such a mess, it's, the continuity it's, it's of this. Tiffany... No, it's the, Tiffany. Con- the continuity makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, it's Tiffany inhabiting the body of Jennifer Tilly, as we saw oh, in the scene of Chucky. So it's Tiffany who looks like Jennifer Tilly, because she was played by Jennifer Tilly, who was then put yeah, into yeah. a doll, who then took it over the body of Jennifer Tilly. Mm. And they, they make a point you, you of that really, at one point. You because... really struggle with it, Alan. It's not that complicated. It's, yeah, no. it's like it's a I mean it's played as a joke how silly it is as well. So you can't kind of scoff at it because they're they're doing it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, but in this film, someone goes to her, Oh, you look like Jennifer Tilly, and she goes, Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, all the time. Pro- yeah. Probably felt they had to acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah, 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 because obviously she is now a Hollywood star in this universe. Well, Hollywood star. Mm. 
actress, <laughs> I guess. I mean, that, that was the thing that took me out of the film. The, the fact that someone would know, like, oh my god, you look like Jennifer Tilly, like, without even... Because at first she says, oh, you look really familiar. And I thought, oh, they're, they're going to be like, oh, have you seen Liar Liar? Or something like that. But no, she's like, oh no, Jennifer It'd be Tilly. more realistic if they heard her speaking and they were like, oh, you sound really familiar. Do you <laughs> voice about 500 cartoon characters? <laughs> you look like you've got an... E- you look like you've had a bit of an easy life. Did you divorce someone in the early years of developing The Simpsons and uh, get a good uh, divorce deal out of that. Anyway, um, yeah, she's in it, um, certainly more than the last film again. And yeah, actually, that was one of the things I was going to praise about this series, really, just the the level of continuity involved in it. Like, it's very much Don Mancini's Mm. series. He's writing and directing them, and he seems like the de facto writer-director now. Um, But just how he, he tries to tie them all back together again, even, like, number two, three, and five that felt like sort of their own things. Yeah, I really well, like I, I felt like this this suffered under the weight of that. Like, bringing Andy Barkley into it, bringing Jennifer Tilly into it, really distracted from what the main story should have been and that was... Is that not the gimmick of this one, though? Like, the, the, the whole point of this one, from what I can gather, is that it's the big crossover celebration of the franchise to date brings it all together is that not what it is i wouldn't well, say it's if a, it was it didn't work yeah, i wouldn't say it. it's a celebration i mean it brings it more together like at the end of the last one it was more just cute cameos from andy barkley and jennifer tilly and yeah um you could allude that it was all set in the same sort of timeline universe what have you but this one very much brings them into the story well i like what they set up was you got this the girl from the previous film she's in a she's in this psychiatric well, it's not even a prison, is it? No, she's, it's medium security, prison, I believe. But, but then there's also there's all these new characters that are, you know have their own mental illnesses, whatever they may be. They're not very specified. Mm. And so you have all these new characters that get established, and then like that's what I, I want to just more of that. Like let's establish this, and then someone introduces this doll, and then it, so is it. You know, then people start dying, and you're like, "Oh right, who's doing that? There's a doll up to something, all that." I don't know. I wanted more of that, really, and it's. I think it did really well. What I liked about it was that it it, it created this world really well on a small budget. It was obviously low mm. budget, but they they keep the vast majority of it in this little you know mental hospital that is all very sleek and uh, clean lines and all that sort of stuff, which means you evokes an atmosphere without really having to do a lot of production yeah. design and that sort. It's of basically thing. like what two corridors, two bedrooms, an office, a mess like canteen, and that's kind of it, really. But I um I do think more of these sort of classic horror franchises should look to going down this route. Like they're always trying to reinvent Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. When actually I think if you just sort of you know get a good team together, someone who's quite passionate about keeping the spirit alive and has a good vision, then yeah, just let them make these sort of lower budget fairs that are mm. actually quite good and in keeping with the rest of the series. And um, well, it 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 looks like Halloween is doing that but perhaps on a bigger scale. Yeah. Uh, well, no, but... Uh, mm. I mean, that continuity's all fucked up. I don't even... I can't even imagine how you try and make that work, but... Um, so, yeah. Very good. Very good entry. For for what it is, comparatively. This could very well be the last, ep- the last sort of film in the series. Don Mancini's talked about he wants to do Chucky on the Orient Express, and... <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Oh, I love Don Mancini. 
I am on board at this point. I'm on board for whatever Don Mancini wants to do because he's constantly <laughs> yeah. coming up with weird. Okay, well, do, do, do you want to know his series, other two so. ideas? Because uh, one of them is very obviously a uh, Chucky in space. So fair enough. I'd be well up for that. The, at this uh, point the as other well, one is Child's Play on Elm Street. Oh yeah, no, I mentioned this. In oh, did you? Child's oh, Play oh, okay then. Yeah, apparently he'd been having talks New Line Cinema about crossing over the the two franchises. Oh, they they actually what he's he's spoken to them. Apparently, yeah. Oh, when I read about this when we did our episode, he said it was an idea he had oh. that he liked, but wouldn't ha- probably wouldn't happen because of rights issues. Oh, I read that he had um, yeah conversations with uh, oh. New Line about it because I guess they'll be looking to sort of reinvent a Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street because that's sort of sitting oh. and not doing much well, right that, now. That sounds like it's taken steps forward, which is encouraging. Because hmm. I'm I'm all for that. I I think th- this series has gone mad mm. so it kind of has to continue going more and more mad for yeah. a bit and yeah. yeah i'm up for all of those ideas i want to see chucky in space i want to see chucky crossing over with other franchises and i want to see chucky on the orient express mm. that i'm so down for all of those. <laughs> so uh should we do ratings for this one uh, i give it six um uh, i'll probably go seven but it's a it's a high seven on par with blade runner from Diminishing Returns. Oh, wait, I've got a question for you before we move on. Okay, quiz. Quiz, quiz, quiz. This one is going to be high, high, low. Okay. Going high, low. Hello. I guess we'll. (laughs) This is higher or lower. I'm going to give you the IMDb rating for Child's Play. Mm. And then we're going to go through the franchise going higher or lower for IMDb ratings. Okay, so. Child's Play, the IMDb rating is 6.6. So oh, it deserves more than that. That's madness. <laughs> Child's Play 2, higher or lower? Lower. Lower. Lower, yeah, that's an obvious one. Definitely lower to Child's Play 2, um, which is 5.8. Wow. Okay. Okay, so Child's Play 3, high, low? Lower. Lower. Both going lower. Child's Play 3 has a rating of 5.0. Ah, yep. So it is indeed lower. Okay. Uh, so next is Bride of Chucky. Is that higher or lower than 5.0? Higher. Higher. Definitely. Definitely higher? Yeah. It's 5.4. Yeah. So wow. it is higher. But not a lot. But less than two. That's... Hmm. I'm surprised it's that low, actually, compared yeah. to the others. But, I thought um... it was could well be the highest of the series apart from the first one, or maybe it is. So Bride of Chucky, 5.4. Next we have Seed of Chucky. Lower. Lower, both going Lower. Yeah, Seed yeah, of Chucky is 4.9. Ooh. So it was indeed lower. Quite like that one. Um, the next one is, of course, Curse of Chucky. Is that higher, higher. or lower than 4.9? It is 5.6. Hmm. That's a big jump up. And then the last one, of course, Cult of Chucky. Lower? Yeah, it gets difficult. I'm going to say so higher. It's 5.6 is our reference point. Is it higher or lower? Uh, I'm going to say lower. higher. Do you disagree? Calvin yeah. going higher. It is 5.2. Uh, it is lower, uh, Sol, even though he hasn't seen it. <laughs> got, People so really liked the um, the one in the house, Curse, Curse. of Chucky. Mm. Yeah, I thought the reception of this one was pretty good, but I. Yeah. Because, I mean, this ranges. This ranges from you know six point six for the first one, four point nine. Seed of Chucky is the lowest, uh, and and like apart from the first one, they go from four point nine to five point eight. It's not a huge range. Hmm. But I think that says a lot about the franchise. It is. It, it hasn't had a real bomb, has it? It hasn't had like the like well, a seed of Chucky is the one people would point to. But I think 
with time people have come to appreciate how mental mm. a film it is and <laughs> yeah shall we uh, shall we press on yep. yeah saw. saw jigsaw jigsaw i have not seen this one me mm. neither i just watched it yesterday i watched it last night because oh. it was the one film i hadn't seen is it everything we expected just more of the same but perhaps slightly better direction it's exactly the same it's <laughs> as if they'd never stopped and they just did another one it, I mean, the direction is no different as far as I can tell from anything else. Yeah. Those last few ones where it was really like proper soap acting, um, it's not as bad as that. I mean, if you're going to leave it a few years and then sort of reboot it, you could kind of come out with a new cast or like a new villain who's taken mm. on the mantle or something, which obviously they have to do. And obviously, like in all the other ones, it's like, oh, one of these people is going to be like working at Force or, or working as his apprentice or whatever. <laughs> He's not called Saw. <laughs> <laughs> if they were going to reboot it, they should have really gone for something a little bit new. Use mm. the branding, but create a new idea, uh, and and still use those traps and like the kind of central yeah. theme, but mm. create a new storyline. And they haven't. They've basically just tied it into what I it mean, was I, before. I, I don't think there's an issue with them doing like tying into the original killer and all that. But I do think it's a shame if they haven't taken the extra time they've had to develop this one and put it together they're not rushing it out within a year to meet a halloween deadline you know um, mm. if you if you watched the first let's say three saw films and then someone showed you this and said it was saw four you would not question that what's at, at all it would entirely fit what do you give out of ten? Five. that's not bad yeah i mean it does it does what it sets out to do it just seems a bit pointless hmm. are they making any more is there any talk of it I haven't looked into it. I'd be very interested to know because mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the appetite's quite there for yeah. lots more. I think it's something you can get away with. Like, oh, it's been ten years, and we're going to do another one. Mm. I'm sure there'll be more. Like, I don't doubt for a second there will be more. It's just a question of if it'll be rushed out to meet a deadline of Halloween next year, or if it'll mm. be like ten years from now. Um, do we? Do you have a question for us? A quiz for Saw? I do. It's quite an open question, this, though. So um, we'll see how many you get. Again, I think we'll take it in turns, let Calvin go first. But basically, (laughs) there's going to be a few obvious answers here, but then I'll see how many others you get. I want the name of actors who have appeared in any Saw film. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Carrie Elwes. I think I could get about four. (laughs) Uh, Carrie Elwes, yes. Uh, Tobin Bell. Oh, damn it. I didn't know if you'd get that. Of course. Um, (laughs) Oh, which Wahlberg is it? It's... uh... I want to say Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg, correct. Yes. Right. <laughs> now I'm struggling. <laughs> Danny Glover. Oh, damn it, he is in one. Danny isn't Glover, he? yes, correct. Oof. I feel like there's a, there's someone else in the first one who is like. Yeah, I remember his first. Oh name. no, um, uh, uh Lee Wanell. Lee oh! Wanell, yeah. Who also, of course, created the series with James Wan. Yes. Um, right. There's got to be. Oh, I don't know. In in the first one, there's there was an actor called Lawrence something, or is that the character? That's the character. That's Carrie Elwes's character. All right, I'm 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 spent then. Can I say one more? Yeah. Costas Mandalore. <laughs> yes. I, I'm surprised that I forgot that name for so long, because that is a special kind of name. 
anyway. Um, I mean, you you have kind of picked out all the ones that I might have possibly have got. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> where else to get. The the one sort of major character I think that you haven't got is the the wife, uh, the girlfriend. There's the wife, but also Amanda, who is like becomes his little protege. Oh, Shawnee Smith. Shawnee Smith, I'm giving you a point for that, Calvin. Oh, yay. Cheeky bonus point. Yeah, the wife is played by someone called Betsy Russell. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. Uh, and then there's... I knew that name. <laughs> and then it's all names I don't know after that, really. It's all like soap stars. And, yeah. yeah. Hang on, let me see. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven hmm. between you. That's not bad. That's not, not too bad, is it? For eight films. Mm. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> You made up a little bit of ground there, Calvin. You're seven points behind. Hmm. Only two questions left, so... Uh, well, you're not I'll just five and... films. I know, but I ran out of time when I was making the quiz. Oh, I don't, I don't appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a Star Wars one. Next up is Thor Ragnarok. I haven't seen it, despite being invited to three free screenings. How come? <laughs> uh, well, I, I've made my feelings on marvel series quite clear yeah but then you watched spider-man and you enjoyed it yeah but i you know yeah that was only like two months ago and it's like yeah <laughs> it's like if a new chucky film came out like every three months i'd probably get sick of it <laughs> but they're so they're so different though this is such nah, a nah, different exactly thing the same. <laughs> calvin have you seen guardians of the galaxy yes the first one You've seen this film, then. Don't worry about it. It's just oh. exactly the same as that. It's not. <laughs> this this film is. Go on, then justify I... this because you fucking love this film. So go on. This film <laughs> is everything I wanted Guardians of the Galaxy to be, and it wasn't. Which is mental, offbeat, funny space like opera romp, c- constantly inventive. It's so much fun. It's 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 actually funny first point or like because it's taika watiti who's brilliant it's got that new zealander sense of humor mm-hmm. it's basically just a comedy outright rather than like a funny action movie which i'm all for i know you seem to take issue with that idea alan but... well my, my issue with it is that if they if you're gonna have the thor universe the thor franchise then it set a tone in the first film and the second film that this completely shifts, no, and no, it's the completely film shifted, shifted it. the tone. The the, the no. tone of Thor was it's kind of a fish out of water comedy, but they don't go far enough with the comedy. Then the second Thor got a lot more self-important and wasn't as good. And the third Thor is all right. We're going to go in the other direction and make it an outright comedy instead of all serious like that last but it, one. It really feels desperate. It really feels like, oh, well, look, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy are doing well. Deadpool was really popular. Let's just make it a comedy. That's what we should do. Uh, God, don't don't lose money, please, God. It's, it I don't feels think it feels so desperate at all. Desperate. I think it feels like Marvel coming into their own, knowing what they're doing. It's It's been massively successful. And... But you you yourself say that the, the uh, advantage of a cinematic universe is that the different strands have their own flavours and then you can yeah, bring and them I together. Yeah, I think they do. So why are they just use, doing with Thor? They're just copying the other one? No, they're not. It's Guardians of the Galaxy is like, it's one thing and i mean i would argue that this does feel different like subtly i can see where you're coming from they're both set in space but you know that it's nothing like iron man 2 or 3 iron man's got a sense of humor the films all have a sense of humor this is nothing like any of the captain america movies it's nothing like the avengers movies really it's nothing like ant-man or 
Doctor Strange, despite him popping up in it. It's nothing like Spider-Man. It's distinctly different. Yeah, it's got similarities to Guardians of the Galaxy in that it's set in space and it's a bit offbeat and silly. Even then, like, Guardians of the Galaxy goes for a kind of broader, cruder sense of humour generally. It's James Gunn, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, I like James Gunn. Whereas this is that very it's a lot more of that dry New Zealand style of humour in this one. And, and you know, I, one one thing I'll say is I thought the action was brilliant in this film, which I wasn't expecting to be as good, because Taika Waititi is obviously a comedy director primarily. He's not really done a massive film before. I wasn't expecting there to be, like, big elaborate space sequences and spaceships flying around and stuff, like, as cool as they were here. I just thought it was great. It's so much fun from start to finish, and the cast is brilliant. It it feels like Thor finally knows exactly what it needs to be because it's been it's always been the Marvel series that's a bit confused and not quite sure of itself. I was I almost walked out of this film. That's how annoyed I was Why? when I, the first sort of twenty minutes. I just I it was really not only was I going to walk out but I was I was like I'm not even going to watch films ever again I'm so sick of this I'm so oh sick of Marvel I'm so sick of watching four films a year that are the same fucking thing The first 20 minutes are particularly like Guardians of the Galaxy in a way that doesn't reflect the rest of the film because they play a popular song over an action scene oh, and yeah, stuff fucking hell. Yeah it it really wound me up. But that is the only point that that happens. And but to be fair, once once the plot kicked in, once the plot kicked in and it got going a little bit, I got more into it and it was not so bad. I'm not a massive fan of the opening scene either to be honest. I'll I think it's a bit too overtly comedy and it yeah. feels like they're trying to set the tone immediately so that you know what to expect coming from it, but I don't think it works as well as the comedy that comes later on yeah well anyway that's what really wound me up and then i i did enjoy the film it was entertaining and i think what it did it did well i liked the comedy of it i think it worked hemsworth's really good at it like oh yeah yeah that see this is something the cast are great so this is the first time heimdall uh idris elba's character has had a role that is worthwhile and feels like he's useful in the film yeah yeah definitely yeah um loki brilliant again um they again it's a character with actual gray area and nuance and they actually do a good job of using him here he's a great anti-hero he's not he's not just to become a good guy he's not just an outright villain they they actually do a really good job of i found i I found a lot of it too simplistic some of the characters were just very one-dimensional. A lot of the plotting was just very standard. I knew everything that was going to happen. And so that let me down a little bit. I expect a bit more from Marvel these days. In its broadest strokes, it, it adheres to, like, a hero's journey and everything. Like, it is, you know, a mm. big blockbuster. But I think it, I think it's got some surprising little twists and turns. And it's... It was a little bit too simplistic for me. And... It- this is a film that ticks so many personal boxes for me as well, I should add, personally. Like... There's a giant fucking wolf. that The villain just has a giant wolf that's, like, massive. That's so good. That's one of your things, isn't it? <laughs> a, bi- a big fluffy wolf. That's so good. I love giant animals in general. Um, Jeff Goldblum is on form. He is peak Goldblumming. It's, but again, that's exactly what I'm talking about, because that is so basic... Oh, put Goldblum in it, because he's, like, wacky, and like, let him improvise a bit. And it's, like, it's such simple stuff. Yeah, but it's it's Goldblum being Goldblum and doing a good. It's job like putting of it. Christopher Walken into that role. It's like, yeah, it's, which would be been, so good. But it's been done so many times now. It's like we need, or at least bring something more to it if you're going to do it. 
look, like I'm I'm very worried that Goldblum's gonna be like having some allegations made against him very soon. So I'm trying trying to enjoy him as much as I can before it all comes out. <laughs> right? Oh no, no! Why would you even say that? No, he's a lovely man. Well, I want to keep believing that he is for as long as I can. All right, and I enjoyed him in this film. I thought he was great. Mm. I've not seen him in something that I've enjoyed his performance this much for a while because like i say this was goldblum just goldblumming everywhere it was great <clears throat> and and i want to um i want to mention tessa thompson the uh relative newcomer um who played valkyrie she's brilliant that character's brilliant thor mm. finally that's one of the really simple characters. female character that was one of the really simplistic one-dimensional characters i was talking about and and also uh, we've not mentioned um, Kate Blanchett, who I thought was fantastic as Hella, the villain, completely chewing the scenery. But this is pro- full on Power Rangers, Rita Repulsa. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it, Calvin. Imagine how great, how much you'd love it if Kate Blanchett played Rita Repulsa and like oh, really went for it. I'd love it. And with the like costume design on her as well, the art design is great. And and um, Marvel are often criticised for having weak villains in their films. I thought she was fantastic. I, I thought she was a, about as good a comic book villain as you could hope for. Um, mm. and, I, and I really liked the way that her character kind of subverted the uh, mythology as well. The fact that like Odin was shown to have been a kind of war-hungry cunt well, in that, his youth. And that this is it. Stuff. I... I liked that, but I wanted to get further into that. I wanted to see a development of this relationship between her and the two brothers and to sort of, rather than it just becoming a big fight. And that never got deep enough for me because I was, I was on her side. I I think for the most part, I, I can understand where she's coming from, but they still, but they still just turned her into this very simple villain that had to be got rid of. I I would have preferred something more than that, especially given the history they've got with Thor and Loki, that they do play that gray area. Hmm. And but then in this one, Loki again is like it's a little bit too much. Like oh, you cheeky young scamp, you tried to murder me again, didn't you? It's like can we have some proper consequences? I like in that in this because it 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 feels I don't know. By the end of it, you get the sense that Thor's accepted that this is his brother and he he loves him as a brother, but he's aware that he's a bit of a twat. You know, he can't be trusted. And it, I thought they did a really good job, to be honest, of having that dynamic feel genuine. Talk, like what I said earlier about Marvel coming into its own now, now it really sort of seems to know what it's doing, why stuff works that it's doing. I think this is a perfect example of this. I would put this up as a contender for Marvel's best film. Maybe not as good as The Avengers. I think I'll stick with The Avengers, but it's it's up there. I loved it. Should we uh, do ratings? I give it six. Which, bear in mind, 20 minutes <laughs> in, I was ready to give up on Hollywood altogether. Yeah, that's... It's, uh... it's not bad, really. Think about it. Uh, I give it a nine out of ten. This one, mm, mm. praise. So, what's that? A seven point five. Seven point five. Diminishing returns. Wait, wait, wait! I've got, a, I've got a quiz question for you first. Well, I think you'll be quite good at this one. So, it might not be that entertaining. What me? No, both of you. I think this is a. So, Thor Ragnarok is the seventeenth film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, what I want you to, guys to do is name all the films in chronological order. I think I could probably name them all in chronological order very quickly and easily so I'll let that I see this is too easy isn't it I thought see I thought you'd be good at this so what I'm going to do is we're going to take it in turns okay get it right you get a point but if you get it wrong you lose a point so uh, there's a little bit of uh we're going to start with you Calvin 
Iron Man was the first one, 2008. Yeah. The Incredible Hulk. Yes, also 2008. Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 in 2010. Thor. Thor is number four, 2011. Captain America. Captain America, the first Avenger, just a couple yes. of months later. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's The Avengers. Then it's The Avengers. Well done. Uh, no. So that's your phase one. Uh, oh, now here's where it gets a little bit trickier, I suppose. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is correct, 2013. Mm. Then Thor The Dark World. That is also correct. Then is... Uh, oh, it's either the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy or... It's either Guardians of the Galaxy or it's um, Captain America, uh, the second one. What's it called? Winter Soldier. Um, I'm going to go with Winter Soldier, Captain America. That is correct. Oof. April 2014, that came out. Mm. Mm. And then it's obviously Guardians of the Galaxy. After then that. it is, which That's came Captain out in Sir. August 2014. Mm-hmm. After that, is it Age of Ultron? It is, yes. Right. Correct. Well, so now it's starting to get a bit tricky now. Uh, Ant-Man, I think, came after that. Ant-Man is correct. July 2015. Oof. Now it gets tricky. Um, hmm... The first one of Phase 3. Is it um, Captain America Civil War? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> Alright, I think the next one is Doctor Strange, but I don't... I'm not certain. It is Doctor Strange. All right, November cool. 2016. I'm, I'm, I'm home safe now, I know the rest. That's good. <laughs> so then the next one would be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Correct. Right. Spider-Man Homecoming... And then Spider-Man Homecoming, and then Thor, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Well done, guys. Teamwork. Yeah, well done, guys. I wasn't sure about that one, because I knew I wouldn't be able to do it, but I, I thought mm. you might be better at it. So, Calvin, what was your segue you were about to do? Because it was good. Oh, yes. From one superhero franchise to another. I wouldn't say that was a good segue. I mean, it's... It's a, possible. It, it's <laughs> a segue. It's competent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked about Wonder Woman, a good... DC film in anticipation of Justice League. One might say the good DC film. Yes, actually, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, um, have we all seen Justice League? Yep. Yes. Okay, this is going to be interesting then. Uh, so obviously Justice League got like really bad reviews and shit. What do you guys make of it? It, it, it wasn't as bad as Suicide Squad or Batman v Superman, but I, I didn't like it. I still thought it was a Boring. And it was more boring. It was more boring and uninteresting than uh, bad. Uh, but you can obviously tell that it's had two different directors come in at different parts yeah. and snip bits off and chuck things in. There were in. some bizarre moments in terms of editing where it was mm. like, wait, weren't we just down there? Where, what are we doing now? And it's like, oh, I yeah. guess they just had to like cut from one scene to another really abruptly. Cause... Yeah, yeah. And and it, it is like super, super obvious, like which bits. Uh... Yeah, this is the thing, because I'd heard it was difficult to tell them apart. And it's like, right, that's obvious. This is obviously a Joss Whedon scene. This is obviously a Zack Snyder <laughs> scene. Mm. I Watching it, it's so obvious. Like, I, I haven't even checked this online, so maybe I'm wrong. But, like, for example, there's a scene just before they go into battle and they're kind of having a heart-to-heart and then Aquaman starts saying, like, all this stuff about how he loves these guys and then he realises that Wonder Woman's truth lasso is on him. And it's like, this is the most Joss Whedon 
written thing <laughs> I've ever seen. It's so clearly <laughs> been inserted to add some, like the relation, make the relationship between these characters yeah. clear, personality, the emotional stakes, and it. And, I mean, it's a good scene as well. I'll, I'll give it credit. The the bit where they jumpstart the uh, the goo to resurrect Superman and it goes all slow motion, Zack Snyder all over. It's like a music video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, and that's not even taking into account all the probably dozens of executives that are giving notes and changing things as well. And you can literally tell when it's Joss Whedon when Superman's on screen because does his upper lip look like a rat boy or like a human <laughs> peer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they CG'd off his mustache, I believe, because he grew a mustache for filming Mission Impossible Six. Seven, yeah, because there was 12. such such extensive reshoots when Joss Whedon came on board to take over the film and fix it as best he could. They had to do loads of reshoots, but obviously he was busy in a contract for another film, and I think he'd finished filming it, but obviously they needed to keep the option to have reshoots open if they needed to do any reshoots, so he wasn't allowed to shave. <laughs> but it's a, it's a nice indicator of like what scenes were Joss Whedon and which ones weren't because that's the thing about like we're never gonna get a true warts and all documentary analysis of what was Joss and what was Zack and there must be a Zack Snyder no, no there will be a Zack Snyder cut somewhere somewhere on some hard drive in Warner Brothers and I would be fascinated to see it to see what and just put the two side by side and compare them we're never gonna see it much like when they release Suicide Squad on um, home media and they said you know it's a big director's cut it was barely different they added a few scenes here and there and changed a couple but it'll be a first draft rough cut if there is anything it won't be reflective of what Zack Snyder's finished film would have been it might be an interesting indicator of where he was going with it but it won't Mm. be a Zack Snyder cut of the film yeah I mean it wasn't terrible it was solid for what it is but it didn't do anything special or new or interesting it was I thought that Aquaman and The Flash were both kind of Mm. forgotten about. They weren't relevant enough to the plot. I like both of the characters, and I think if they do the individual films, they'll have enough personality there. Tell you who I really liked was that cyborg guy. Uh, Yeah, I didn't think there was much there. I thought he was a surprisingly interesting character. So I've never... I didn't know anything about him going in. I I found him quite interesting and compelling, and I think there's... It's not like he's that amazing in this film, but I am genuinely interested to see his solo film they're working on, because I think that character... With what they've got to work with there, they could get could some be depth. Very there. interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, in this one, definitely. There's def- there's some tragedy in that one. Yeah, I'm not particularly bothered about Aquaman based on this film, or and like even the Flash. I don't re- like the Flash. Oh, I love the Flash. The Flash was good as part of an ensemble. I I worry that he will not be able to carry a film mm, of his own as well. Yeah. As well, that's it. Both of those characters have got quite a lot of personality, so they're quite good in ensemble because they make an immediate impact. Boom, have a line. Boom, boom, boom. Whereas Cyborg, I think, was lost in this a little bit because mm. we didn't have time. But in a proper film where they actually go into a bit of depth and examine him, yeah, I agree and with you. I think that might be there might be more character there. When Alan came into our show proclaiming that he loved Suicide Squad, bizarrely, <laughs> one of the things he said was. Um, that he thought it did a really good job of establishing all these new characters and introducing them. Now, this film, I think, is actually a good example of establishing a load of new characters and making getting us used to them. I think it actually does a good job of that. I think Cyborg was established very effectively and relatively quickly. The Flash 
was established very effectively, very like relatively mm. quickly. But also the bulk of the film is about establishing this team. And so the film doesn't need to rush getting them together out of the way. I, I'll be honest, I, I actually quite enjoyed Justice League. Um, <gasps> it's a messy film, but I didn't think it was bad. It was more or less what I expected when I heard Joss Whedon was going to completely reshape yeah. the entire thing. And then reviews mm. came out and I was like, oh, he hasn't managed to do it. Then I watched it and it's like, oh yeah, no, it is. It's just kind of like relatively solid, if a bit messy in places, fun. A lot of flaws, obviously, but not enough to kind of tank the whole thing for me. Yeah, long story short, I actually enjoyed Justice League and I would only put it like maybe one notch below Wonder Woman, to be honest, in terms of how good I think it is. Like, my film. God. I definitely got a good, good two notches. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. I didn't one thing quickly is I I didn't like the copious mentioning of Steve Trevor cuz they they go on and on and on about him like they keep mentioning him and it's like fucking hell it's like a 100 years later or how long it's been like <laughs> it's like it's literally 100 years ago it's like I mean, I've been dumped, but <laughs> you get over it eventually, don't you? It just felt like they knew... It felt too meta. It felt that they knew they had to keep addressing it because the film had just come out without mm. acknowledging the fact that the character would have, like, wouldn't just be offering up, oh, I know someone who would have loved to fly this plane once, and oh, I... I knew someone who taught me about love once and all this stuff. Like... Well, I think the f- the fact that Wonder Woman is the one film that everyone sort of likes in the DC universe is another reason why they probably kept going to that, make a stronger yeah. tie with it, remind yeah, people yeah. of that. Oh, do you remember you liked that one? So are they just are they going to remove Zack Snyder from this whole thing or what? I believe so. I, I think this was, his, this was his swan song, I believe. The first like half of production of this film. From what um, I understand as well, there have been big like structural changes at Warner Brothers. Like DC Films isn't operating as its own unit anymore. Like much like yeah. Marvel operates as its separate unit away from like let's say Walt Disney Pictures. The the, the DC Films have been brought underneath the yeah. Warner Brothers film banner, so they're basically under the same production bracket. Did you guys sit through to the end credits? Oh god, no. I I enjoyed the little bit at the end. It was good fun. I read up on it. It had Jesse Eisenberg back, right? Yeah, like Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. Like you're in, you're in whatever prison he's in. He's not in Arkham Asylum, is he? He's in some other one. Uh, the guards mm. like, come on, Luthor, come out, turn around, and he doesn't do anything. And then they turn him round, and it's this bald man cackling maniacally in a in a straitjacket, which I took to mean, ah, the Joker's come to break him out. Now, I don't know if that's actually what was intended or not. Oh. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to continue to assume it is, because I like it more that way. And then <laughs> there was some, you see him on a boat, and some character that people care about that I don't care about. Some mercenary guy. Whatever he's called. Some, some character comes out, and Lex Luthor basically says, I'm making my own Justice League full of bad guys. Uh, setting up mm. a, a what they call League of Doom or whatever they're called, mm. which I think's a good direction to take the sequel because Zack Snyder's original vision for this was the main villain was just a henchman of a guy called Darkseid who's basically the Thanos of the DC universe, and it was just going to be this big boring load of nonsense. But the idea of oh, it's an Avengers made up of villains versus an Avengers of heroes is something that hasn't actually been explored in these films yet, and I, I, I'm hopeful for the future of the franchise. Hmm. Anyway, more on that in our 
next DC themed episode, which will not be long, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Well, what's the next one? Is it Cyborg Aquaman? Uh, Aquaman, I think. Okay. Mm. But yeah, ratings, guys. Uh, it's between four and five. I'm gonna go four. Yeah, four. <laughs> I got six. I give it a seven. Senior sevens. Arriba. <laughs> <laughs> First of the year. Oh, I'm just reading up on just okay, I just looked to see when Aquaman is released. It looks like it's been pushed back. Oh really? It was supposed to be released in July. Now it's gonna be December next year. Wow. And that's Bloody the next hell. film in the DC franchise, so it's a whole year to go. Huh. Wow. They filmed it already though, right? Yeah, yeah. Our friend that's James Wan. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's five point seven diminishing return score for uh, Justice Ooh. League. Mm. I've got one last quiz question for you regarding the Hooray. DC Universe. So is this the decider of the quiz? Who wins the quiz? Calvin's a few points behind, so I've, I've come up with a way of doing this where there are at least some decent points available, if you can get them. Okay. Um, but it's not um, a big question. So basically, I've got, the, I've got the box office performances of the DC Universe films Ooh. here. Oh, brilliant. So, That's so more what, of a Calvin thing. Shit. So what we'll I do love is, this stuff. What we'll do is if you've, got to, you've got to tell me what the box office is. Whoever gets closest gets the point, but if you get it within... Oh, what? I've got... I'm going to pick an... Oh, God. Oh, okay. I, t- I tell you, if you get it within 30 million, I'll give you three points. How much money it made? Box office, Opening... Yeah. Is weekend. this, like, global, yeah, worldwide? worldwide okay. box office. Man of Steel is the first one. This is the one that I'm least likely to God, get uh... right. I'm going to go for 650 million. 650, Calvin. Okay. I'll go... 700? The correct answer is 668 million. Yes! Which means three points to Calvin. <laughs> Brilliant. That, that was so, a real stab in the dark, that one as well. Like, I didn't really... That is very good effort, very good. Let's give you some sort of ballpark number now, though, to work on. 668 million. So the next one is Batman v Superman. Uh, better let Sol go first. We'll, t- we'll alternate. 830. <laughs> yeah. Eight hundred and thirty. Yeah. Okay. And Calvin. Eight hundred thirty-five. Eight hundred thirty-five. Okay. Eight hundred and eighty. Eight hundred and eighty. The correct answer is eight hundred and seventy-three. Oh, yes! that's another three points to Calvin. You're back in the game. Oh my god! I, this is my round. <laughs> this is outrageous. <laughs> this is because okay. I love looking up these numbers. Like this is like one of my favorite things to do. Okay, you're first on the next one then. Uh, Suicide Squad. Oh, now this one's going to be a bit trickier. Eight. Hundred million, I'm going to go for. Eight hundred. Hmm. This so? is the one I'm least sure of. Um, I'm going to go 750. 750, the correct answer is. 746. Oh, so that's well three done, points Saul. to Saul. Mm. Very good. Damn it. Okay, Saul, you're first on this one. Wonder Woman. 926. Nine, okay. <laughs> Nine to six. <laughs> Calvin? I'm going to go 830. Uh, the correct answer is 822. Yes! Oh. Another three points for Calvin. Yes! I knew that because I knew that Batman v Superman was the highest grossing one of the lot so far. Uh. Okay, guys, you need to think tactically about this one. 
Okay, oh God. This is for Justice League, and this is as stats as of now, basically. Just just to let you know, you are one point behind, Calvin. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. It's all to play for. If you're going to go for right now, I think it's going to be 630 million. 630. Sol? Oh, uh, man. I mean, I was, am I not allowed to go within 30 of Calvin? What were you gonna? What was your? <laughs> well, I was probably gonna guess about six hundred and thirty. <laughs> um, <laughs> six twenty. So you're going six. Still quite close. Six twenty. Yeah, I so think you're going it might be lower, more than basically. Oh, I think it might be slightly more. Um, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll stick six twenty. Six twenty. So you're going lower than and six thirty. The correct answer is six thirty-seven. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say 636 originally and then I backed away because of bloody... <laughs> but you're both you're both within the thing there but Calvin oh, okay. was oh. but, but, but so <laughs> that theory by that theory you get three points each but then Calvin was closer so he should get an extra point which means you've ended up dead level oh isn't that on, lovely um, <laughs> uh, that is very nice points each and I think that's the, the best way to off. best way to go off I, th- I think that's lovely. I think that's it really was a good, nice. Good clean, good clean fight. It's yeah, outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had your specialist transformers question, and I had my specialist box office questions. So. You know how good you are with transformers. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, button your lip. Moving it's good on. work, though, guys. Well done. Last three films of the year. Starting with the Disaster Artist, which we looked at the room for, mm-hmm. yeah. which is I believe we've all seen this one, I think. Yes. From what I've yeah. seen on social media. Okay, yeah, great. Um, okay, who wants to go first? Alan, what did uh, what did you think? Well, my immediate thoughts were that I think I've... St- I don't see what you think about this, Calvin, but I think I'm suffering slightly because I've read the book. Ah. And uh, I felt like the... Yes. I felt like the book goes into so much more depth and you get so much more character from it hmm. that this felt very... This felt a bit superficial for me. Like it didn't mm. quite get into that character enough, and I didn't see enough of the grey area of Wizzo, I suppose. Mm. Um, and also, the structure of the book worked much nicer that you couldn't do with the film because it's this very straight linear structure. It meant it like they kind of rushed through the the relationship bit to get to the filming of the room. Uh, so I did enjoy it, uh, but it just felt like it had so much more potential to be something else and something great. And it, and so I was slightly frustrated by that. I um, somewhat agree with that. But did you I think read having, the book? No, I think having not read oh. the book, I probably enjoyed it more because there was a mm. lot of like, oh, wow, this is what, I, you know, I assume this is yeah. what he actually did watching this. Wow, that's really interesting, which I... Because uh, okay. I didn't know the ins and outs to the same degree as you guys having not yeah. read the book. Mm. Oh, see, no, I I really, really enjoyed it still, despite having read the book. There are definitely a, a quite a okay. few bits in it where it was, uh, you know, I could remember like, oh, well, this these two events happened on separate days, and that wasn't really the catalyst yeah. for that argument and that, that kind of stuff. And oh, well, actually, they took her to the hospital. They didn't just carry on with the day's work yeah. or whatever when she passed out. But, um, you know, I, I was fine with that. I was expecting it not to be, a, you know, a terribly, um, you know, a faithful adaptation. Yeah, that's that fine. You've got, to, you've got to get it down to a manageable length. Mm. I, don't, I think maybe I'd love to see the reaction of someone watching this film who doesn't know the room, doesn't know what it is, doesn't know who Tommy Wiseau is, yeah. and to see if it would work. Because I, I think, wonder. 
I think I think it would. You could make this story that would work on that level. It's a story about two struggling actors that find this kind of awkward relationship, even though one of them's a bit kooky. But then he suddenly decides he's going to make a film himself. I mean, but then he's also got loads of money, but and he becomes this terror because he's got an ego trip on him, and then the other guy has to deal with it. Like that's a great story. And you could get some real character stuff in there. And I feel like the because of what the room is and its cult status, there has to be this bit of like, oh, let's get to the room. Oh, look, it's that scene where he goes, you're tearing me apart. Oh, he did that. Yeah, look, he recreated that scene. And it's like, mm. I'd love to have gone into it a bit more cleanly, I think. I think it did a really good job of imbuing some implied characterization for everything going on. I think it did a remarkably good job of having some emotional impact uh, towards the ending there there's a shot at the the premiere where you know Tommy Wiseau starts crying because everyone's laughing at his shitty film and uh, like I I felt genuinely like sad for him it like worked and the uh, I thought that, it did a great that not job undermined of... by what happens then afterwards and no I don't think it is necessarily that undermined I it felt like a very you can tell when you're watching it which bits have been truncated and like mm. my watching it it was like right well obviously this didn't happen on opening night and that people weren't laughing and hooting at it and this is kind yeah. of a the film being uh its lifespan after release being condensed down into like one night for the sake of narrative and I'm okay with that mm. And I, I do think a lot of why this film is interesting and why Tommy Wiseau is fascinating is perhaps stuff that wouldn't work were it not based on a true story. If it was just an original character, you'd sort of be like, well, this is bad writing because yeah. what the fuck is this about and why there's no, like, like we need a bit more <laughs> explanation for what's going on. But I also think the film goes out of its way to establish that it is a real story and it is based on reality, which cuts it a lot of slack in that regard. And, like, for example, at the end when there's a gratuitous amount of, side-by-side sequences showing how they Mm. recreated stuff um i was listening to an interview with seth rogan i think it was oh no it was the writers sorry uh of the film where they were saying that they basically had to include that and go back and add it in because they were showing this film to people who didn't know what the room was and it was testing really well with them but Hmm. they just thought it was like a fiction they didn't realize that it was like they just thought it was a funny comedy rather than a true story so they just wanted to kind of hammer home that and the the talking heads at the start or the people mm. talking about the room um yeah and that did all feel a bit gratuitous but i guess yeah like you say it's it has its purpose doesn't it and yeah i mean overall I, I thought it was it was just really good fun it was it was full of like cameos and good like actors that i like and they all did a good job and yeah i, I like i say i thought it worked um it made a, a strong narrative um out of something that could have just been a very disposable little thing and i, and I thought it was a nice little it wasn't just a piss take you know it what it was like a tribute to the room it, it was a loving mm. homage it acknowledged the fact that for all its faults the room is a film that people are still like getting something out of and enjoying on some level you know and we're doing bloody podcasts about like over a decade on i did also feel like um apart from tommy and greg all the other characters 
it felt like they were just window dressing. Like they didn't get anything from them at all, really. And that that was a little yeah. bit kind of like I would like to have seen more. I'd get their get their perspective on the filming process and stuff. To say they had quite a respectable supporting cast as well. Yeah, um, I, I agree, um, but I don't feel like I needed any other characters to be explored, personally. I wasn't really interested in anyone else. Mm. So there was another film that I saw with my boyfriend and he hadn't seen The Room or didn't know anything about it and still kind of enjoyed it and liked it a lot and just got wrapped up with the story and it's a real classic tale of an underdog and how you can still sort of achieve your dreams even if you don't really... Even if the outcome isn't necessarily... No, the outcome is what you wanted, but the journey to the outcome yeah. is perhaps slightly different. I'd love to see a TV series of this story, like a 16-hour long thing of, of this story, starting with them meeting at an acting class and going through to the process. like Which is kind of like the book does it, but in a linear structure. Mm. There's so much there. There's such a big story there to be told. It's And it's I think it's identifiable with so many people. Mm. Because Tommy represents passion and emotion and very raw uncontrolled and then greg is kind of gets caught up in that but is also anchored by reality a little bit more and so <laughs> but he, he he sees something in tommy that he he loves that he hasn't got this kind of this emotion this emotional freedom but that's all there in the film <laughs> what you're describing I, I just it just didn't go far enough for me i'd love to just see see it go further yeah but it's a it's a very solid sort of companion piece to the room isn't it, it yeah it does yeah, yeah. I would rather see a like sixteen-hour documentary assembled from the footage that oh, was yeah, taken yeah, yeah, yeah. on set. That's what I <laughs> oh, want, God, like yes. a, an in-depth documentary. That has to. He, he's got that. You know, he's got that that footage yeah. somewhere. He'd yeah, make a, a fortune. He's just joined Twitter. Tommy Wiseau, by the way. Wow. <laughs> um, that oh, that's brilliant. Right. It I'm is. It is. It's, it's, it's fascinating the stuff he's been posting. I'm just. I'm looking him up now. Actually, I'm going to see if I. I'm just looking at his Twitter. He follows. For oh god yeah accounts. yeah I saw that it, it, like I laughed out loud when I looked at his followers it's so funny. he follows the official page for the room the official page for best friends movie which him and Greg Sestero <laughs> starred in he follows Greg Sestero and then he follows <laughs> PewDiePie <laughs> should give a ratings? yeah ratings uh I'll I'll give it an eight it's an eight from me six what's that that's like seven point four <laughs> uh seven and a third. 7.4, rounding up. The next film is uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Now, this is another one that we're uh, probably going to cover quite briefly here because we're going to come to a full episode on it later down the line, probably in front of Solo, perhaps, which is out in May. Mm. Uh, but this is a shame because I could probably talk for a a good couple of hours on this alone um but i've only seen it once and i've got a second viewing scheduled because i definitely need to go back and see it again so if you haven't listened to our star wars episodes we we recently did a season of star wars episodes alan and i are not big star wars fans um like we don't get it calvin is your traditional normal person who likes star wars thinks it's the best thing ever oh don't think that, that quite agree with that, but uh... all right, it's no James Bond, but it's up yeah. There. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, I I went to see the Last Jedi, having hated the Force Awakens. I should add, uh, we we did the whole episode on why I think the Force Awakens is a bag of shit, and I was sort of dreading it because I do like Ryan Johnson, who wrote and directed the film, and I did kind of like the look of the trailer, so I was being drawn in. But I liked the look of the Force Awakens before I saw it, and I didn't like it. So. 
I went in open-minded, but somewhat dreading it, because it's like the longest Star Wars movie to date. Categorically, without doubt, this is my favourite Star Wars film ever made. I really enjoyed it. It's the first time I've genuinely enjoyed a Star Wars film on a like personal, emotional level. Like I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was good. And I was amazed to come home after having enjoyed it and, and, and seeing it with my partner, who's like a big, big Star Wars person as well, who also loved it, to, to see that it's like controversial and like all the Star Wars fans hate it, apparently. So I was very surprised uh, by that. A vocal amount of Star Wars fans seem to hate it. I, I think just a vocal amount of people. I think this goes beyond Star Wars fans. I think it, I think it is genuinely... I know people who aren't Star Wars fans who've seen it and dislike it. Uh, people who aren't well, Star Wars Star fans Wars. who've seen it and loved it. Like I, I, I really don't think it's as clear cut as Star Wars fans dislike it. Or I've been trying to rack my head around why people don't like it for the last like however long it's been since it came out, and and I think I've kind of started to understand it. And I think a lot of it is to do with expectations of what Star Wars is and what it's supposed to be and obviously I don't carry any of that baggage because I don't give a shit <laughs> and and this film kind of metaphorically and literally burns what Star Wars is to the ground and starts to rebuild it and I'm I'm all for that because the, the films exist and they're in the past but if this franchise is going to continue into the future it needs to start forging new ground and doing new mm. things and th- yeah this is... no, and i completely agree with that it can't just be oh this skywalker's had this kid let's follow that one it's like they need to branch out of that family at some point because the force awakens is just let's do a shot for shot remake of a new hope and yeah this could have fallen into the trap of being Empire Strikes Back remade, but it it takes joy in subverting your expectation that that's what it's going to be, and it isn't that at all, and I Mm. I genuinely enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's not to say I thought it was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It it still uh, had Mm. lots of flaws in it, but they just didn't bother me. Like, I think there's major flaws in every Star Wars film made since the first one, to be honest. That's the thing. I, I have massive issue with all sorts of things in Star Wars movies. So the fact that Princess Leia flies through space at one point using the Force didn't wasn't enough to ruin the film for me. Alan? Um, well, yeah, it took me quite a while after watching this film to like write a review and stuff because... Honestly, I came out of it just thinking, yeah, just more Star Wars. It was, it really had very little impact on me, positively or negatively. It was, I wasn't particularly engaged. It did kind of what I expected it to. I felt like tonally, this wasn't quite matching up with the last one. It felt like it wasn't really a kiddie action romp. This was a bit more serious. I like that about it. And on the one hand, I like that, but on the other hand, it felt tonally inconsistent. Yeah, but fuck the last one. It's shit. <laughs> no, but you fuck can't. Fuck the Force no, Awakens. But... Yeah, yeah. To, to you, it might be Soul, but well, the what? same way the Force Awakens doesn't care about the prequels. No, it just doesn't acknowledge them. It doesn't take what the prequels did and undo it. It doesn't. I mean, that's part of my problem with this. A lot of a lot of the choices that are made in this film, because it's one well, thing why? to shock what, and what subvert un- expectations. I'm I'm about to explain if you let me finish. It's one thing to sort of subvert expectations and surprise. It's another thing to just erase what happened in a previous film because presumably the director didn't like it because the director, Rian Johnson, probably didn't care about what Snoke, you know, where Snoke came from or what Ray's lineage was. He's awful. The film doesn't erase Snoke. It just killed him. It does. 
J.J. Abrams can come along and do a backstory for him in the next film if he wants to, if anyone actually cares about this clone of the Emperor who's just just the Emperor again, I would have seen it. And the answer to that is not to develop him beyond that and make him something different, it's just to kill him and start again, which, it, you know what, you know what, I can agree with that because I think it's more interesting for Kylo Ren exactly, to be he's... suddenly thrust into being this... Yeah, exactly. So my problem with it is that I'm now not sure what to invest myself in or what not to invest myself in because if a director is so willing to just come into a universe and be like, ah, I don't like that, let's just get rid of it, let's get rid of that, let's get rid of that, I don't know what I'm supposed to care about because like, they introduced this new character, Rose, in this film. I don't like her very much and I don't know if part of that is because I don't know whether I it's worth my time liking her, getting invested in her, if they're just going to toss her away in the next film without much of a without much of a, an ado. I do think that the next film's going to be shit. I am very worried. I'm like not particularly excited for it because J.J. Abrams is coming back, so I I think it's going to be a return to repeating the same old shit and trying to do quote unquote damage control on this film. So I yeah I, I I sort of get where you're coming from with that, but just taken as its own thing, I I really like this film and I like one of the big complaints I've heard repeatedly is that the sense of humor doesn't gel with the Star Wars world. I think the opening scene is bizarrely out of place within the tone of Star Wars, where Poe does a kind of prank call almost mm. on General Hux. Um, oh, yeah. At the same time, I found that relatively entertaining. And it actually served a, p- a purpose in the plot. It wasn't just there, oh, yeah. let's do this for a laugh like it would in Thor. It actually served a purpose. That's the only bit of like weird out-of-place humour, though, in the whole film that I that struck me as being odd. So I just kind of let it go as a tonal thing. I, I, I don't know what other weird humour is. I mean, there's a bit where Luke drinks milk directly from like a teat of a gross thing but i thought that was hilarious i love that yeah yeah, but i didn't i didn't really take that as a weird out of place joke i mean i guess it kind of is it's sort of it's almost like a middle finger to people wanting fan service the fact that it is a callback to like blue milk which is part of the series canon but it's like done in the grossest weirdest way Um, (laughs) but i just thought it was so i love that I guess the, yeah, the no, scene where an iron is like ironing a thing, but it's shot like a spaceship was really funny and not quite in keeping with Star Wars. But I don't know, like, there's not that, there's really not that much in terms of like weird out of place humor, if you ask me. Certainly that struck me as. I know that people didn't like um, Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder at the start that he received at the end of the previous film. I think that's perfectly like in line with the sense of humor Star Wars has, though, up until that point. And I, I like that. I thought that was such a great. I mean, I get, I, like, if I was someone who went and saw The Force Awakens and was like crying at the end because Luke looked at her for like 10 seconds and then he did that, maybe I would feel annoyed. But I, I, I like that. And I, this is the thing, again, as what I mentioned earlier, I love older characters' takes on characters and seeing them develop, and I didn't particularly care for Han Solo in The Force Awakens because he was the exact same character he always was. They didn't change him at all. I love Luke Skywalker in this because mm. it is a, it is a genuine evolution of that guy. It's him 30 years on and he's evolved mm. in some really interesting ways. And they yeah. they could have so easily done what loads of people seem to want, which is just this guy is like the leader of the Resistance who swans in to like 
take everyone on single-handedly and save the day. And he he doesn't want to do that. And then at the end, he kind of does, but in a way that kind of is self-aware and subverting it. And it, it's... I really liked the Luke story. That was probably my favorite bit, the way he progressed mm. and the kind of journey he went through. I thought it was really nice. I agree. Um, yeah. But then there was kind of three separate strands here. And and the mm. one with Finn and Rose going off on a little adventure was felt really felt like filler. There was this big sort of saggy mm. midsection where the film... 20 minutes it. half an hour too long it kind of but that was your that was your action romp bit and that was fine it served that purpose but it didn't tie in with the rest of the film and in fact everything they do is completely irrelevant because it never serves a purpose it felt no, it like has, filler it has thematic purpose though if you care about that particular like suddenly they start talking about like the realism of war and like oh these people fund this uh they fund both sides they fund the empire and they fund the rebels and all that kind of stuff and i'm like this is star wars for goodness sake don't get bogged down in this nonsense about like don't make these real world parallels and rose and finn i the only thing that they accomplish is inspire that young stable boy that we see um again at the end Otherwise, they do nothing. They they would have been better off just staying on the ship. And I yeah, think it also it does a disservice point. to the whole idea of there being this like siege going on anyway. And I love sieges, stories about sieges, and the whole thing is that the bad guys are like following the good guy ships. But then it, it completely ruins that premise if people can just pop out here and there whenever they want, mm. like they do in the film, and it really annoys me. Um, just going back to the casino planet, I like that because number one, it's the first like interesting new Star Wars location we've had since the Gungan underwater kingdom in Phantom Menace. It's not just a rehash of an old world. It felt like a genuinely like interesting new place. I don't know what's interesting about it. It's just it's a casino. It's Yeah, but it's a Star Wars casino. I mean, I, I, I liked it. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, do it down, but I didn't love it. But also, the the plot strand exists because it, it's, it's set up as this like, one in a million shot that these guys are going to go out and save everyone because the our characters we're following are like better than everyone else and blah 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 and the fact that they fail is is completely in keeping with the thematics of this film it's like it's uh poe was basically wrong to be like investing so heavily in them on on you know this one in a million shot yeah i i don't know It, it didn't bother me i mean what i will say is obviously the film is a bit too long to begin with, so I like that they inspired that kid at the end as well. Like, because obviously the idea there is that actions like this, not specifically just this scene, but every time someone in the resistance does something like this, it's going to go out and inspire characters, not just this one child. All across the galaxy, it's safe to assume there are people who've been inspired to like join, be on their side, and I think that is a setup for the future. Um, it's certainly gives the film a kind of bittersweet element to uh, the ending when he goes out and he's prancing around with his lightsaber. I just don't think that that one ending is worth 40 minutes or however long they spend of just failure and pissing about and whatever. Like, I, I don't think it helps. I really don't like this Rose uh, <laughs> character. And I really don't like um, Finn in this film. I liked him quite a lot in the Why? previous one. Um, 
I think it's, I, I have the same problem with Poe, is that they're just sort of, and maybe this is a point that will be picked up on in the next film, but they're all just like running around thinking they, they, they're they solving things and they're actually just making things worse. Poe especially costs mm. dozens of lives through his decisions. And then at the end, I think we're supposed to think, oh, isn't it good that he's learned his lesson? It's like, you've really depleted the entire uh, force that you have through your um, terrible decisions. I find that interesting. I, one of the big takeaways I had from this film is that suddenly all the cast of The Force Awakens and the characters that I hated so much in that film because they were either just a carbon copy of a previous character or a ill-defined nothing, I really enjoyed in this film. And, and Finn was much the same as the last one, but just kind of further developed. I thought he was fine in the last one. I thought he was fine here. Uh, like I say, Poe wasn't just the carbon copy of Han now. He actually was his own thing, so I liked him. And Kylo Ren, I get now. I get what he's supposed to be, and I like it. I think he's a really interesting character. I think Adam Driver's performance is actually like making sense in the context of this mm. character mm. now, and I, I really liked Kylo Ren in this film. Yeah, and this was the other story strand of Kylo Ren and Rey sort of starting to sync up, and, and that whole development... Which, like I say, we, we, we're not really supposed to go into this in too much detail, are we? So let's just cover it. But, yeah. like, that developed further. And although it kind of came to an ending, it also, obviously, there's more to come. And that's what you want from this middle film. Mm. And, and that was one of the things I liked about it. it. This didn't feel like a filler film, which is what I was worried about. It does have its yeah. own story. It completed its own thing, but mm. also set things up to develop. And, that's, and it, it, it created that mm. balance quite well. I was completely on edge for the last, like, 40 minutes, hour maybe, of the film because I was aware that it had been long enough that the film could end. <laughs> and I just kept it, like, every time someone would, like, walk through a door or, like, look into the distance or something, I was just expecting that to, like, come on and just ruin it for me because I was enjoying it. And the fact that it had a satisfying conclusion that, like, saw out the arcs of the characters mm. in question and like didn't just call it quits and and definitely the, the luke story that does come to a very definite conclusion yeah. that that worked that because that kind of rounds it off and it gives you a sense of closure for this film even though there's things that are going to obviously going to be continued on anyway let's not get into it anymore because we we will yeah. come back to it improperly yeah. oh ratings for that one then well, I, I don't really know because I need to see it again and this is why this is why I like that we revisit films, to be honest. Um and we do these review of the year shows and I think like Alan with Suicide Squad this is a good reason why we do this, because I think sometimes you can come out of a cinema experience and think one way and then when you revisit a film under a different circumstance you see it in a different light. With this, I undoubtedly enjoyed the and the whole two and a half hours sat watching it. I was never bored. I didn't think it was sagging in the middle or anything like that. I was enjoying the entire thing. But then as soon as it finished, all of the problems sort of bubbled up to the top and I couldn't stop thinking. And I've had so many discussions and debates with people and my flip-flop mm. opinions and all this kind of stuff. It's really tough to pin down exactly how I feel about this film. And I think I've been a bit of a dissenting voice in this discussion, largely, Sol, because you're quite positive about it. And I feel myself often coming up against this like if I talk to someone who's positive against it about it I'm going to be pushing against that and if someone is negative I'm going to be pushing against that it's really I tough for me to make my thing. mind up about this one I, I felt much the same way because I, I solidly enjoyed it coming out um, of the cinema and I thought wow it's the first time I've enjoyed a Star Wars film I was expecting everyone because it's got really good reviews lest we forget yeah universal acclaim yeah I was expecting everyone to be like brilliant another great star wars film we love star wars so much and 
I'd just be able to be part of the mainstream opinion for once, which I was like, oh, great. Thanks, Ryan Johnson, for letting me be part of the crowd and not like going <laughs> against the grain. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, only talking like 7 out of 10 material here because, you know, the best <laughs> Star Wars film in the world isn't that great. The more I dwell on it and think about it, I'm being forced to like reconsider what it is because so many forced. people are complaining about it. <laughs> Um, the more I <laughs> thank you, Sol. <laughs> the more I like it, the, and I'm I'm feel myself being pushed in that opposite direction towards liking it even more because the more I'm being forced to re-examine it and like the way it completely deconstructs the hero's journey and that sort of thing, and the mm. fact that it is a very meta Star Wars film and this and that, and I give it a seven out of ten, but I wouldn't be surprised if I bump that up to an eight come uh, our next episode looking at it um when we come back to revisit it i'm gonna give it five mm. Ooh, lower than the phantom menace <laughs> yep Jesus. yep i mean that that's ludicrous but i'll um, have to i mean i'm i'm coming back to it like to be honest like after my next viewing it might go up to eight it might stay it might go down i don't know but um yeah i definitely need more time to digest this one for sure mm. well i'm gonna go with six Wow. So that's a 6 out of 10 overall. Which is Who would have thought that a Star Wars film would get these ratings from the three of us? Yeah. It's Inverted. opposite stay. <laughs> oh, by the, also we haven't mentioned like it's a stunningly like beautiful film to look at. Um, oh, it looks gorgeous, yeah. More so, I would say, than The Force Awakens. <laughs> so just to, yeah, there definitely um, seemed there was definitely a, a concentration on on color and the palette and stuff like that, and making very bold kind of colors statements. And stuff. Ryan Johnson's just a much better filmmaker than J.J. Abrams. I think J.J. Abrams is a bit of a hack, to be honest. Who he's a hired gun, and he'll come in and make a mass friendly Star Wars Episode Nine for everyone, and I'll hate it. I do think that one of the sort of interesting things that I uh, read about uh, preparing for this was that, like, because J.J. Abrams set up all this stuff with, like, Ray's parentage and Snoke and Captain Phasma and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he didn't have any answers for it. He just, like, handed it over to Ryan Johnson and was like, well, I've not figured it out, but maybe you can. So, and I I do think that sort of plays into your, um, yeah, what you just said, Sol. The thing is, though... Like, I'm amazed that, like, killing off Snoke was so controversial for people. Because, like, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to die in this film, but did anyone actually care about Snoke, really? He's in, like, one scene, maybe two scenes of the first film. There's no ambiguity about what he is. He's another emperor. Fine. Do we need to know that in and out? Like, we don't need a whole prequel trilogy explaining who the Emperor is, if you ask me. So, like... Well, I I, 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 I think... I, I didn't like him as a character all that much, but I wanted to know, like... And it, I think it could have been serviced in just a couple of lines of dialogue. Like, basically, who this guy was. Was he just, like, some Imperial officer that rose through the ranks? Like, where did he come from to be in such a position of power? Because he's such an odd character in the mix here, and I don't need, I don't need to know that information about Hooks... Um, or, or uh, Poe or anything, but for him, it's like, yeah, you're a pretty big deal, and I kind of need to know like how you got there. But we don't need that in this film. I don't know why it's on this film to explain all that. I'm sure they they probably will explain. Well, because it kills him. Well, yeah, but they can explain what he was in the next one, or they can have a flashback 
showing well, that's how true. he and Kylo Ren met. Or that's very true. That's very true. I guess it's it's in a way it feels sort of futile to even discuss this in such great detail because I guess if we were doing the same with The Empire Strikes Back in like the eighties mm. or something, so much of it is just dependent on what the next film does. Yeah, and one thing I'll say about Snoke again. Just what I was saying about liking characters in this film. I I liked Snoke in this film. I thought he was boring and shit in The Force Awakens. I thought he was a fun Andy Serkis performance, charismatic, more far more compelling in this film. Um, mm. The way he's played and Hux, even who I hated in the last film. Oh, I hated I thought, him in this one. I didn't particularly like him. I still think that that guy's giving a dreadful performance, but I felt as if Ryan Johnson had done a really good job of editing around his shit performance compared to The Force Awakens, where it's just on show. Not enough C-3PO. Okay, let's uh, move on. What about the Porgs? We can save that for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... On to Jumanji. It's Alan's film of the year. Oh, for fuck! Alan's gonna give it a nine, and it's gonna be the most. No, no, come on. It was my most anticipated film of the year. Of the year. Let's not get carried away. Um, so um, you haven't seen it, right? Nah. No. And basically, it's just come out yesterday, so that, that's why. But yeah. just so I'll, I'll cover this pretty simply. Uh, uh, it's got some good points and bad points. It, it sets it up with these teenage characters. You set up the characters, then they get pulled into the game and they take on the avatars, right? We know that. The setup of the teenagers is really weak. They're the most kind of stereotype, shitty teen characters. Mm. And I guess the point of that is like, we need to establish this quickly and then we get into these, and then they need to be broad characters so that when they're being played by someone else who doesn't fit the mm. part, it's they can overdo it and exaggerate it and it'll still work. And I guess that's necessary, but it just means the, the opening sort of 15 minutes is really shit. Uh, once you get into the proper Jumanji bit, it's a lot better. Yeah, you've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you've got uh, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, well-established comedy performers. Uh, Karen Gillan completely holds her own with them as well. And the, hmm. and the four of them, yeah, I haven't really seen her in much, so I didn't know what to expect, but she was hmm. great. And the four of them as a unit work together really well. Like nobody's stealing the limelight. Nobody's tr- tr- nobody's doing something completely different to everyone else. It works. Mm. The the story world that is created is is quite nice. It's really well realized. Nice effects and lots of jungle and all visual nice stuff like that. Mm. Does it feel like a magic jungle? Like not a real world jungle? No. Yeah. Um, there's some kind of bit larger than life uh, animals and things, but like not unrealistically, not just like, sort of like Skull particularly Island. exactly. They're, oh yeah, yeah, not not like like that, but just slightly exaggerated for dramatic effect. Really, uh, there's no real tie into the first Jumanji. It, there's some tangential links that just make it kind of go, oh, remember Jumanji, but there's nothing of relevance to the plot. Hmm. One of my main problems with it was that it, it didn't quite take the video game gimmick far enough. There's little elements of it, but it just felt like if you're gonna if you're gonna use that as your gimmick, then use it rather than just using it as a start off point. Hmm. But yeah, good in most part. Seven out of ten. Ah. I think that's the highest rating you've given a single film in this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I think I think you gave it's it not... a seven as well. Yeah, but I gave it a seven. That it's not been a good gen- year for me, has it? No. I don't think I like films anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Only Suicide I, Squad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't suppose you guys have got a, a top ten of the year. Uh, I don't know. Apparently I gave everything six or seven. <laughs> this is my top ten of the year. Bearing in mind there's still loads of stuff I haven't seen. But as of now. <laughs> Number ten, The Disaster Artist. Oh. I liked it. Number nine, Logan. 
Mm. Good old, good old Wolverine. Yeah. Remember him. Uh, number eight, It. Hmm. Number seven, T Two, Train Spotting. The uh, the sequel to Train Spotting, which we will have to talk about at some point. I'm I'm mm. sure because yeah. certainly wouldn't get anywhere near my top ten. I don't know why you two always insist on doing an episode on that. Uh, number six, The Big Sick. Have either of you seen that? No. No. The Big Sick might be a dark horse at this year's Oscars. It's a romantic comedy, but it's a really, really brilliant, genuinely funny, genuinely emotional romantic comedy. It is Kumail Nanjiani, who, Alan, you will remember, was a, a voice in the Lego Ninjago movie. Oh. The one who had a Pakistani <laughs> accent. He, he, he's, not, he's on Silicon Valley. But it's, it's him, and basically it's autobiographical. He wrote it with his wife about their true life experience where basically she f- was put into a uh, an artificially induced coma due to a medical reason like very shortly into their relationship and he kind of had to get to know her family and stuff basically having not met them before whilst their like daughter was in a coma ray romano plays the dad holly hunter plays the mother and it's brilliant hmm. and i highly recommend it um really really great hmm. film Hmm. One of my picks of the year. After that, number five, Blade Runner. Number four, Spider-Man. Number three, Planet of the Apes. Number two, Alien Covenant. Number one, Thor Ragnarok. There we go. Oh. Just wanted to mention those films that aren't like franchise things in there. Well, the big sick, basically. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What's what's the worst film of the year, Sol? Um, a film called Fall of Grace, which is oh. a micro-budget thing about a guy's daughter being possessed by a demon that i reviewed earlier this year it, it's just like not only a, a crappy little film with no money behind it but like not even competently made the sound mix is <laughs> like all over the place and you can't hear what they're saying half the time and it's just it, it's just appallingly badly made normally i criticize a film for its acting and its writing and stuff but like it's very rare that i even encounter a film where like you can't hear or see what's supposed to be going on and that, yeah it's shock uh if if we're going a bit more mainstream than that because that's a very obscure all my worst are like fairly obscure mostly straight to video festival circuit things that aren't very good uh the worst mainstream film this year i've seen is rings oh hmm mm, yeah. um i mean at the moment i've got logan followed by wonder woman Trying to find anything else remotely good. Calvin, you got any favourites for the? Oh, I, 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 I've been keeping. Um... Yeah, but anything you remember that jumps out as a go? That was a good one. Well, Alien Covenant's probably up there. Oh really? Oh yeah, because you weren't. That was like the Last Jedi for you, and you weren't really sure what to make of it when we talked about it last time. Me? Yeah, you, you said you said you weren't quite sure what to think of it. You weren't quite certain if you liked it or didn't like it. Oh, I thought I always liked it. You, I mean, you rated it highly, but you you were a bit unsure. You were very similar to how you oh. were with the Last Jedi. You said you needed more time to like digest it. Oh, hmm. well, digested and um, and good. Yeah, I love that film too. I like. I've been loving all sorts of stuff. Everyone hates this year. Actually, I've been like a real, <laughs> normally I hate everything else, but this year I loved Alien Covenant, which everyone hated. I really like the Last Jedi, which everyone hates. Justice League, I thought was f- all right. <laughs> so yeah, hmm. and Mother. Right, well, um, let me just have a quick look at our ratings for the episodes. What is our combined film of the year? Right, there's some there's some ties here, so let's work together to decipher which one's best so they're actually in an order. Because joint for 10th place, so three of these films won't make it in, 
we need to pick one of these to be 10th place on our list. So there's Split, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Blade Runner 2049, and Cult of Chucky. Well, Cult of Chucky. Alan, as, as the only person who's seen all of those, <laughs> which is your favourite? I guess it's down to you. Cult. Ooh, well, definitely not Blade Runner. <laughs> Probably the best of the selection there, Blade Runner, being swatted to one side. Yeah, because it wasn't that good. Guardians of the Galaxy just did the same as the first one. Tell you what, as someone who's seen Split, Blade Runner, and Guardians, I'm going to take Guardians off the table for you. That's my input. Okay. <laughs> so if it's between seems Split and Cult of Chucky, oof, there was definitely elements of Split that I didn't like. It felt like it had more originality and kind of ambition mm. than Cult of Chucky. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go Split. I'm going to have to go Split. Between... Well, yeah, eight and nine here, there's a tie. So we've got Spider-Man Homecoming and we've got Kong Skull Island. I think the fact that Calvin liked Spider-Man and was involved in that means that it's better. Like, its its score holds more weight because Calvin hadn't seen Kong. Hmm. If more of us have had an opinion, then yeah, it's, it's yeah. got to be a more valid Okay. Mm. Uh, oh, that's score. a good way of judging it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that means that King Kong is nine, Spider-Man's eight... Then we've got a tie between Wonder Woman and the Disaster Artist. Now, Ooh. personally, I would say the Disaster Artist is the clear winner of the two. But uh... I would agree with that. Very, very different <laughs> films. Very different films are difficult to compare directly, so I'm kind of comfortable with either. But, I mean, in terms of how I enjoyed them, Wonder Woman was my preference. Um, the next one's quite easy. So it's It and Thor are tied for fourth and third place. Given that Alan liked It, but seemed a lot more down on Thor, and I liked it, even though I liked Thor more, I guess we should meet in the middle, it's probably it is better. Thor almost made me give up on watching films. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you enjoyed it as well, lest we forget, so... I wouldn't go that far. You you um, literally said you enjoyed it in this recording. Yeah, but you you saying it out of context like that makes me look sound like I enjoyed it. Right, number three, we've got War for the Planet of the Apes, and now... This is one we can all weigh in on. So it's a tie for first place between Logan and Alien Covenant. Ooh. Ooh. Now, I'm going to vote for Alien Covenant, but I feel like I might get outvoted with this one. Well, I already identified Alien Covenant as quite possibly my favourite film of the year, so I would vote for that one too. Oh, well, cool. I've identified Logan as my top film of the year already, so I guess that I've got to go with that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so our our top ten of the year. Number ten, Split. Number nine, Kong Skull Island. Number eight, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number seven, Disaster Artist. Number six, Wonder Woman. Number five, Thor Ragnarok. Number four, It. Number three, War for the Planet of the Apes. Number two, Logan. And number one, Alien Covenant. Mm. And that is, of course, limited to the films that we've done episodes covering, so... Yes, yes. Who'd have thought Alien Covenant would come out on top? That's a yeah, it's an odd choice, that one. Bottom of the pile is a toss up between Resident Evil and Transformers. But is that based only on my <laughs> No, Calvin rated Resident Evil as well. So I guess that means it's because he liked it, that should push it above mm. Transformers. No, 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 because that's two Who saw Transformers? Ooh. Just me. You yeah, and... just you. So that's two compared to one, which means oh, the two right. is more valid. So yeah. if it's a low score, it should be lower. Yeah, you're right. But Calvin, <laughs> the fact that you've rated this one out of 10 at all means that it's now the worst film of the year, officially. <laughs> Resident Evil, the final chapter. You know, I didn't even like it. I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's a 1 out of 10. 
you could see what was going on. Uh, I need to write that review that I've been meaning to write for the website. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. There you go. Another year of diminishing returns. With many, many more to come. Hopefully. Who knows? Since recording this episode, I, I've been to see Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle myself. Uh, very quickly, I basically agree with Alan. Uh, almost entirely. Solid, good fun. Not as good as the first film. Fairly different, really. But, you know, decent. 7 out of 10. Do head over to our website, dimreturns.com, where you can see a comprehensive list of all the films we've discussed in today's episode, and our ratings, and all of that stuff. There will also be links to the previous episodes where we discussed the films before they came out. As ever, we would love it if you could take the time to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, where we are at facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast follow us on twitter at dim returns pod or follow us on soundcloud or whatever listening app site interface you use until next time happy new year Ta-ra.